This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello and welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I, as usual, am your host, Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger. We love SVU. We hate crime, but we do talk about it. And we love celebrity guests. And today is fantastic. Um, up top, we chit-chat, we catch up, um, we start the day off. And yeah. Are you watching Girls Trip, Thailand? House I Lives. haven't watched yet. I haven't watched yet. I'm really trying to plow through Miami. I'm getting closer and closer on Miami, loving it. But I have not started Girls Trip yet. I got to start. No, I'm Miami excited. is my favorite franchise. It's it's quickly became my favorite franchise. I was actually hanging out with um, comedian Jared Goldstein yesterday. And he brought up a great point because he stopped watching um, Housewives. and Because he said it used to be wholesome. And now it's become more like jail, dark. Like yeah, um, there has been a lot of darkness, and it is true because he said the height for him, and I had to guess his favorite moment. And then we were watching it, and it was when Kelly Ben Simone and Bethany met at a bar for Kelly to go, "You're down here, and I'm up here." Yeah, (laughs) and we watched it, and it was just like. But she did have a mental breakdown. That like that was pretty dark too. But it was like so funny. I don't know. But it was fun. Yeah, I don't, think it, I don't think Housewives was ever wholesome. Yeah, I think I it used to just be like <laughs> flippant fun. And now yeah. we're talking about like widows not getting their settlements and like yeah. old people having their money grifted from them by a woman who's got doesn't even use the money for real bags. She uses it for fake shit. Like <laughs> I just like it it there is like darkness. And then like sisters fighting like on Beverly Hills. It's like I I don't mind seeing Kathy and Kyle 
spar a little bit, but like Jesus, like everybody hating each other and like the sister stuff is so dark. And, no, but yeah. you're right. That was the beginning of the true darkness was Beverly Hills. You stole my goddamn house in the yes. limo. And Jersey. That was, re- that was Melissa, like that was real. The christening, like the fist fights, the family. Even like, even like reading about Mary Cosby. I mean, I think Mary Cosby's a cult leader on yeah, Salt people Lake. being like, bring and her she's in. back. She's coming back this season. They showed her being, they showed her, her filming. And I'm like, like so many people came forward and were like, this woman is taking advantage of people financially under up. the guise of God, which is something I truly hate. And then everyone's like, bring her back. She's great TV. I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know. No, but my point was that Miami is like the old flavor. That's like yeah. real stuff happens, but it is like, it's not dark. It's not heavy, yeah. even if heavy things are happening and being said. Like, maybe it's because their titties are just, like, high and out. But, like, there is the, there is a sexiness. There's, like, a lightness to Miami that I enjoy. Well, yeah, and I think we've talked about this before, too. They're all actually, maybe not best friends, but they all actually do know each other and have known each other for a long time. We're in yeah. a lot of other cities. It feels like it's a very casted group of friends. Like, they sort of know of each other, blah, blah, blah. But Girls Trip, I like because all, if you're if you're listening and you're like, oh, I watch Housewives or I don't watch Housewives, but maybe I want to dabble in Girls Trip. On Girls Trip, the veneers come down. Like they talk about the show. They talk about being in the public eye. It's not like we're trying to pretend that we're a fly on the wall anymore. I mean, it's not like they're talking to, directly to camera during scenes or anything, but everybody's just sort of like more out there. And everybody knows it's a short trip. It's like an eight-day trip. So no one's trying to be like, I'm trying to cultivate a friendship with Dorinda right now. And I'm just going to see where this goes. It's like, no, you have eight days. Scream at her or fucking figure it out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's what I like about it too. I loved the Berkshires girls trip. I didn't watch the first one really. I watched like two episodes with our friend, but I, it didn't grab me. But this cast, Portia and Candace together and Giselle, I'm excited. I am too. This is my big problem. Ooh. And it's, I only watched three episodes. I hope there are- Oh, there are that many of them are out already? Yeah, they released three at once. Okay. Yeah, so then I think it'll be one a week, but they released three at once. I hope things change. But it's very White Lotus in terms of they're like eating French fries. They're like at going to restaurants where they're ordering like fried calamari. I'm just like, you're in fucking Thailand. It's kind yeah. of like- disgusting to me and like poor so the house manager's name is Pepsi and he's the shit like he truly is kind of the star he's like that dude on Berkshire's like the house well yeah. that's what I was, that's so funny there's like this new role that yeah. is like the the wrangler that becomes like the house boy or whatever yeah and now there's a guy named Pepsi and is he Thai yeah and he's like he's heaven on earth like I would love to stay at that house and he wants them to have a good time but like he loves Portia he he had <laughs> He is smitten for her, but <laughs> she wants KFC. Yeah. And he gets her KFC. And he she eats it in bed. And I relate to that. I relate to that Porsche. Like sometimes, because I do that, like me and my friend Alex Crawley, um, she lives in London, but like we vacation together. Um, and we've been around the world together. And always on every trip, we love one night of like Domino's in our Airbnb. And we watch AbFab and eat Domino's wherever we I are. I love that. Or like if we were in Mexico, maybe not that, but like we do an AbFab pizza night. Like that's just something we enjoy. So I understand the comfort of like that. 
but it it's just kind of, especially after White Lotus and like the scathing kind of like takedown of that kind of travel culture, yeah. it just kind of grosses me out to watch them in Thailand going Not ordering and eating any Thai food. <laughs> American style egg rolls. Like, I don't know. It's just like, it's just, I don't like it. And then they went to an elephant sanctuary and are like, are disgust. Like I... My life dream is to hug an elephant. Like, I, there's nothing I would want more, but they are disgusted. They don't want to be near an elephant. They don't want to be by the poop. They do not care. They're running away. Like, the employees are like, please stop running. Like, they are like, go eat lunch. Get away from it. Like, it's just a little bit, like, gross to me. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Because I also like the idea of, like, yeah, we're renting a house in Costa Rica. Let's just, like, be in the house. But, like... Going to Thailand and then going and ordering French fries and fried calamari. I don't know. I just like, I'm judging. I'm judging from a day. And yeah, I know they're yeah. there to work. I get it. They're there to film a show. But you're in Thailand. But it's only right. three episodes. So I don't know. Who else wanted, didn't Dallas go to Thailand? I did not watch Dallas. That was Oh like yeah, I think Dallas went to me. Thailand and like Leanne was all like, you don't walk there at night and was like acting all like- Oh, I did watch an episode where like someone refused to follow the rules of the sanctuary where it's like, just take off your hat. Like yeah. they told you not to wear a hat. Just don't fucking do it. And like they wouldn't follow the rules. It's just like, I don't know, it bothers me. Oh, yeah. It, it bothers me, too, because, again, it's like a bad reputation. You're setting a bad example for Americans abroad. And this is the culture. This is the custom. You have to follow their rules. Like, it's like if someone comes in, if someone comes to my house, I don't care if you keep your shoes on in my house, but if I go in someone else's house and there are shoes off house, take your goddamn shoes off, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. I am excited to watch it, but, yeah, some of the xenophobia is probably going to get a little bit tiring because that's something you didn't really have to deal with in like the Berkshires or in where'd they go the first one Bahamas or something yeah it was just like a you know like a beach trip is different yeah but like but maybe they can't film in certain places and that's why they have to do like more resorty things maybe this was filmed during COVID times like I don't really know what's going on but it just was like, and maybe it's, it, it really is like a White Lotus thing where I'm like noticing it more because of the satire of the show of like, and why White are you Lotus traveling? season three is going to be in Thailand. Wait, was that confirmed? Yeah. I didn't see that. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. I didn't know. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah. I didn't know that was confirmed. I'm on the internet all fucking day. How did I, I miss that? I just saw it yesterday, something that said, like, buckle up for season three ah! of, Th of White Lotus in Thailand. Oh, my God. I also saw the only, I didn't see that, but I saw Megan Fahey's going to be in a Nicole Kidman project. So that's exciting for our former guest. Oh, yes. She's getting. Thank God we got her up. before yeah. she blew up. Oh, my we God. Got we got her right on the cusp. We couldn't have gotten her. We couldn't have gotten her now. Oh, maybe she. we could have. She is cool. I mean, yeah. I, you know, but. She does you know, like you from the comedy store and stuff. But I did my honeymoon in Thailand. I went to the Elephant Sanctuary. I, like, am obsessed. with. I had the best trip there. I had, like, it was the best. I love it there so much. And the food is amazing. And I'm not, like, I can't eat all spicy foods and I don't eat meat. But, like, you know. There was so much for me to eat. I loved it. And I was not ordering French fries. 
When I lived in Italy, I, I would definitely be like, and this was when I ate meat, I'd be like, I just want to have like a big burger and fries that's like not from McDonald's or go, like I would always want to get a BLT and I would go to Hard Rock Cafe. Like every once in a while, my friends and I would go to Hard Rock Cafe just to have like an American meal. And that's fine. That's not what I was demanding on an eight day trip, you know, like to Thailand. <laughs> I don't think I'm not like, I wouldn't shame anybody for wanting to have like the comforts of home once in a while, but it's eight days. You can't live without KFC. Portia, my darling. Immediately. Reality TV gold. Maybe she was wasted, but I don't know. It's just like, it's gross to watch. Maybe she was trying to test Pepsi to see how far he would go for her. Yeah, and then they gave Leah the worst. But Leah is, because I've been watching- Is she flopping? Oh yeah, she's bad, but I knew it was going to be bad because all the Watch What Happens Live, like all the ladies who've from that cast who've been on Watch What Happens Live, Andy has asked like, Who's been your favorite? Who is the most surprising? Like, who are you? Or whatever. And every one of them said Leah was the worst. They hated her. She sucked. And so I wasn't surprised to see what I've been seeing just on the first episodes. And then I talked to someone. They're like, well, she's clearly like cr- uh, crazy. She's like the Kelly Benson. Like, she's she's mentally unwell. And it sucks they keep hiring her to do a job because she shouldn't be on television. She she needs help. Um, so maybe that's the situation, but she's a terrible person and she sucks and it's clear immediately and she sucks. And she's gonna, Ooh. I think, continue to suck. Yeah, I was never really huge into her on regular New York anyway. All right, we're gonna get the episode started because this is a long one because it is a two-part episode um, just in case you got confused, it is on Hulu as Lost Reputation and Above Suspicion. It's all under the title Lost Reputation. Oh, wait, but- and I'll be in San Francisco in like a week. Come see me do oh, yes. stand-up in San Francisco. Yeah, April 26th to April 29th. I'm in San Francisco at the Punchline. Amazing. All right, let's get going. Hey guys, I'm really sorry. I'm recording this on my phone, so it probably sounds really janky, but... Wanted to let you all know that the tickets are up for our April 21st show at Moon Tower Comedy Festival. It's going to be in Austin, Texas at 800 Congress. That's the venue. The show's at eight o'clock. You can get tickets at that'smessedoplive.com. Uh, please head there, buy tickets, come see us. You know, the more people we have there, the more likely there are to have us back another year. And we love that festival. It's so well run. We're going to have an awesome show for you guys with a lot of fun games and surprises. And so yeah, that's messeduplive.com. Head there, get your tickets ASAP. Thank you. Okay, everybody. So this is Lost Reputation and Above Suspicion. If you're watching on Hulu, it looks like it's just Lost Reputation, but it's actually two episodes sandwiched into one little, you know, player. And it's the openers of season 14. So season 14 opened on the same date with a a two-part episode. And this is actually, it's not even a double. It's a really a triple because this is a to be continued of Rhodium Nights, which was the season finale of season 13 that we covered and we talked to the amazing Brooke Smith. So if you haven't watched Rhodium Nights yet and you haven't listened to that episode of our podcast, do one of those. Watch it, listen to our podcast, but you got to like kind of get Rhodium Nights under your belt before you watch these next two. 
So we're getting a nice little previously on SVU recap here. And it's like the Delia versus Ganzel war, if you'll remember. Cassidy's working undercover for Ganzel. A governor is found murdered after there's a bachelor party with the, a dead sex worker. who, And it's the son of the police commissioner's bachelor party. So this all ends up with Carissa, uh, one of the main sex workers and Ganzel's fiance, being found murdered in Cragen's bed after she made accusations to him against Amaro for propositioning her. So this episode starts with Liv getting a middle-of-the-night phone call on her cell from Cragen. And when she sits up shocked on her phone call, she's topless and she's got the comforter wrapped around. And I'm like, I think we've seen Liv get middle-of-the-night phone calls before and she does not sleep in the nude. So I feel like she had a visitor and I'm just, you know, making insinuations here. Um, Well, and the insinuation is Dean Winters, correct? Well, I don't know. I think she's still fucking Hayden here. Harry Connick Jr. Oh, uh, okay. Because season one is like where she's truly in bed with Dean Winters. And that my, that was like the early days where I think they were still finding what they were going to do, be doing. Yeah. But yeah. Until our towel moment last season. Yes, the towel moment last season. It's like, we never see Mariska's shoulders, I'll be honest. And this is one of the (laughs) rare moments. Um, So, yeah, all her evening dresses are covered up too. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's not a bad look for her. It's a good look. So they flash back to 14 hours earlier and the color of the show looks different because we're in a flashback. And we're seeing a lot of stuff we saw in in Rhodium Nights. Delia's lawyer is Marvin Exley and he's played by legendary Ron Rifkin. He's warning them like, you guys don't get how high this goes. She's got the goods on everyone. Your boss, your boss's boss, your boss's boss's boss. Like she's up to the top. Like she's got the president's fucking sexual proclivities in a Rolodex. And he even mentioned the Hayden thing to Olivia. And that's her secret boyfriend, uh, Harry Connick Jr. So it's kind of like he's mentioning it to be like, I've got dirt on all of you. And then he goes, walk away, little people. And then he even says, he mentions to Amaro the Carissa thing. And then more flashback, Liv asks Amaro, well, what did you and Carissa talk about? And he's immediately threatened. This is like, this whole couple of episodes are like, not a good look for Amaro. I think this is when I started to hate him. He's immediately feeling threatened, lashes out at Liv. Like, you know, I never brought up the Hayden thing. And the thing with Amaro too is it's also like everything's always happening to him. You know, it's like, uh, uh, at at a certain point, you gotta be like, I'm the center of all this. I'm the problem. It's me. Yeah. Yeah, a, a, a part of Amaro's like, but, uh, you know, why are all the teens jumping in front of my gun, you know? Why, yeah, but he- and Why he is my wife in Iraq? Like, he just says, I just really, yeah. He is a good detective, like, in some ways. Like, he definitely, there are times where he catches a look somebody does and he knows something's up. Like, there's definitely good detective to him. He has good instincts, but yeah, like, he's always like, why is everybody coming after me? And it's like, me, 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 and- It's like a little bit, I think I talk about this later, but it's like a little bit stabler, but stabler handles it better in a weird way. I don't know. I know he's trying to like fill the stabler shoes. By being a damaged man, you mean? Yeah, and also being like Liv's partner and like the head guy on the show and like, you know. Yeah, Amaro's more burger and stabler's more big. Yes, that is perfect. Thank you. I'm really proud of myself. That is so perfect. (laughs) I hope he leaves a fucking post-it note on his Dell desktop at the precinct that says, I'm sorry, I can't. (laughs) And that's how we know he joins the park rangers or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, I was feeling nauseous and I was like, I have to get a hit of weed. But in my head, it just hit me like, there must be nauseous medication. There is. Like, that didn't even occur to me. <laughs> like, there's ginger ale, too. Like, yeah. there's so many things. Like there was- That's so funny. I was just explaining <laughs> to Jared. I so stupid. <laughs> I was just explaining ginger ale to Jared, and I was like, well, you know, the ginger ale, it's the ginger that makes your stomach settled. And he goes, no, it's the bubbles. I go, no, you're supposed to mix the bubbles out of it because you don't want it bubbly in your stomach when you're feeling nauseous. And he goes- Oh, in my family, we just drank Sprite when we were Yeah, we had sick. seven up. I thought it was, it's the ginger in ginger ale is what's supposed to settle what your do you stomach. Mean, scoop the bubbles out. You, what I, my mom would do is twist a spoon inside the, the glass until all the bubbles popped, like until it, all the foam came up and then went away. Made it flat. That's supposed a, to drink flat ginger ale. That's a clank special though. That's no, no, no. A, Casey, because... Uh, that's a no doctor. That's a clank special that most people Another are drinking just Another person just told me out. recently that they poured it into two cups like this, one cup, two cups, to get all the bubbles out so that it would be flat. That is a really sophisticated thing that I don't think reached a lot of households. For me, it's like if I if my stomach is hurting, I don't want something that's going to make me burp or like bubbly. So In that's why you flatten head, it. It's like, I think it's drink seven, get the puke, like get it out. Oh, yeah, seven Casey's up. saying he drank 7-Up when he was sick and Jared drank Sprite and I was like, you guys are nuts. We're set, we were a 7-Up family bubbles. too. Okay, I'm flat ginger ale. I think that's what the nurse used to give us at school too, flat ginger ale. Anyway. Maybe it's Connecticut. I wonder if it's regional. I wonder if it's regional. Oh my God, great. That's true. You two are both Midwest. I hate when Lisa and Casey gang up on me. All right. <laughs> um, this is going to be a Midwest podcast. Yeah. <laughs> So Amaro's all like threatened and he's saying to live like, you know, I never brought up Hayden and I knew about it right away. So now they're like in a fight. These two are fighting and they're partners. And I remember thinking back when I was watching these live that something was going to happen, thinking something might happen between Amaro and Liv. And now when I look back, I'm like, why do I think that? I think but, um, they that's just the whole thing. A man, woman, will they, won't they? Moonlighting, yes. that's it. Liv is hot. Will Everyone's hot. Will they fuck? Yeah. For everyone. Totally. Yeah. But he he starts fucking Rollins next season. So anyway, more flashback. Yeah. The flashback continues. Liv and Cassidy are talking and he's like, I tried to warn you. They're watching the cops. They're watching Hayden. And then he calls Hayden a self-righteous asshat. So we're getting some, there's like some jealousy vibes happening from, uh, from Cassidy. And he admits that Cragen's name has come up on some of the lists as well. And that maybe he's involved. Maybe he's being set up. I don't know. Like some of the, correspondence because he's involved in this three-year undercover operation where he's been head of security for Ganzel. And Ganzel knows he's a, he's a cop that doesn't work for the cops anymore. And so whatever. Carissa and Amaro, they also show them in the flashback. They're outside the precinct. It's when she wants to confess about the governor's death, but she's scared. She wants protection, but she won't go into the precinct with Amaro. He gives her his card. Then he goes home to his miserable marriage with Maria and she wants to talk, but then he gets a phone call from Carissa and she's upset. And Maria's being annoying like, oh, you can talk to her, but you can't talk to me. And it's like, this is why you guys both suck. You both put yourselves in the center and you've got little Zara over here, this terrible little actress, and neither neither of you can pay attention to her enough. And so then he gets off the phone call with a witness in a, in a case and then she doesn't want to talk to him. It's like, 
their marriages. We talked about this with Laura Benanti. It is joyless. Um, so now it's Carissa meeting Cragen at a diner where she tells him, oh yeah, Amaro ex- offered to protect me if I went to a hotel with them. Then we see Genzel getting a call from Carissa. And then Cragen is walking on the sidewalk looking very dazed. Like he's blinking a lot. He's kind of like swaying side to side. Carissa catches up to him and she's like, Captain, you forgot your keys. And then she's like, are you okay? And starts to walk him home. So now back to present time, finally. Cragen is in a Hanes white t-shirt letting live into his apartment. And he says he's already called 911 and he didn't touch anything. Cragen has literal blood on his hands and has no memory of what happened. So now we're getting started. In the room, Carissa's lying on the bed like the uh, her head is at the foot position of the bed and Carissa's throat is slit and Cragen's like, I don't even remember how she got here. The police come in, they tell Liv to wait outside and he admits to the cops that he knows who this person is and she's a witness in a case that he's working on, his squad is working on. Outside, Liv is like, he needs to see a doctor, I'll ride with him. And then you hear someone go, I think you know better than that, detective. And it's comedy darling and criminal minds regular Paget Brewster. She's also what, an S- Yeah. She's great. She's also an SVU alum. She was in the episode Scheherazade where she is uh, Brian Dennehy's like long lost estranged daughter. So anyway, this is not her first rodeo, but she is playing Public Integrity Unit Bureau Chief Paula Foster. And this is her investigation now. A cop comes out and shows her the knife murder weapon that they found in the apartment. And Paula is like, to live. She's like, girl, I don't really care about your cuddly relationship with your captain. You have to testify about anything you talked about. And Liv is like, he didn't do this, all caps. And so now at the squad, Liv is filling in the gang. Cragen remembers nothing. And Munch is like, okay, well, he was definitely drugged. Maybe his memory will come back to him. And then um, the captain's endowment, they say, is sending over counsel. There's no sign of forced entry. So Carissa either talked her way in and roofied him. And then Danny Pino goes and slit her own throat. So there's obviously still tension between Liv and Nick. And then he reveals that Carissa called him a few times last night anxious. Like, that's so weird that this wouldn't have already been discussed. Like, he feels like he's just throwing it in there like it's not important that you talk to the girl like hours before she died. Um, And Rollins and Nick start getting snippy at each other, but they get interrupted. In walks Captain Stephen Harris. And the guy playing this guy is Adam Baldwin. No relation to the Baldwin clan. This actor allegedly created the hashtag for Gamergate, okay? He's a guy who used to be a liberal, but now is a libertarian and thinks that woke liberalism is ruining everything. And he also supported Ted Cruz's run for president. So, a loser. This guy, Captain Stephen Harris, he's the temporary captain of SVU. And he's like, all right, guys, I know you all love your captain, but we cannot touch this. And Liv's like, you don't really get SVU. Like, you don't get what kind of squad we are. And he's like, I consider this an elite squad, which you never really hear them say. That's kind of fun. And he goes, I'd hate to see it broken up. Boom. So Finn gets the politics of it all. And he's like, okay, daddy. And then the guy is like, wear better clothes. And Finn's like, what the fuck? I was just supporting you. (laughs) So Paula Foster walks in and is like, dress code is the least of their problems. And she reminds them all about obstruction and tampering with evidence is a crime. Don't discuss this case with anyone or amongst yourself. And Munch goes, not even the press? And it's just classic Munch. And uh, she expects full cooperation. And then on the way out, Liv's like, can I have a word? Meanwhile, the temporary Captain Douche is there like, is like, there's a reverse massage complaint at some hotel where a celebrity has been grabbing 
someone's junk. Who wants it? And the squad's like, eye roll. Like, we're in the middle of like a huge, juicy case involving our captain and warring pimps. And you want us to go to like someone getting their penis grabbed or whatever. So Liv, not that that's not an assault. Please, I'm not trying to demean it. No one should be able to do that. But for the squad, it's not what they want to be working on. Liv tells Paula at the elevators that she thinks Cragen's being set up in this Ganzel versus Delia war. And she's she's like, okay, maybe he is, but the optics are bad. We can't be perceived as giving Cragen special treatment. Everyone is going to be covering their asses right now. And Liv's like, including you. And Paula's like, girl, I've been running this unit for seven years and you've never heard of me. I'm not gunning for publicity. I'm no one's friend, but I have everyone's respect. And I love that. Put that on a t-shirt. I'm no one's friend, but I have everyone's respect. I mean, I don't feel that way about myself, but it would be funny to wear that on a t-shirt. <laughs> she also knows Liv isn't going to drop this and just asks like, look, I'm not going to like insult your intelligence. I know you're going to keep working on this case. Can you just please share all the info with me? And she's like, yeah, why don't you vet my captain and not rush to, rush to judgment? Like I'll, I'll share info with you, but you like don't just rush to judgment on my captain. He's a good man. And these two look like they'd have a fun night out together at like a wine bar under different circumstances. Like I think that they have a fun vibe. So cut to Cragen in his undies at the Emmy's office and his longtime <sighs> pal, Melinda Warner, has to take pictures of his bod and he has to drop his shorts. It's humiliating. Uh, could no one else at the office do it? I just think I that's insane that his bestie has to do it. I know. They're at parties together. They're at dinner parties drinking wine with Cragen's new girlfriend and Liv at Liv's apartment. Like, that's weird. Like, anyway... Because, like, I I feel like if I saw, if I was her and I saw Cragen's penis, I'd never be able to get it out of my head every time I saw him. I'd be like, oh, there's the penis. Like, it would just pop in, you know? Now Cragen's in, like, a nice office awaiting interrogation. So Cragen hasn't been arrested or anything yet. He just went and got, like, personally processed. They were taking photos of, like, scratches on his back, his penis, like, whatever, swabs, everything. And Cragen is now in a nice office awaiting interrogation with his lawyer, who's, like, a baby. It's, like, a, the guy looks really fresh out of law school. And he's obviously been sent by, like, the captain's endowment or whatever, and that's not really his... He doesn't have, like, a Lionel Granger or anybody good. Yeah, so but Paula he comes, should. He knows I know. so many people. It's just, like, this is crazy. I know. And you would also think for the publicity that somebody high up would do it you know, just like for what a highly publicized case this will be. So Paula comes in apologizing. She goes, I had a personal emergency with my daughter. Okay, moving on. Cragen explains how Carissa asked him to meet to give info on the governor's murder. She said it had to just be me alone. And he said he had never talked to her before. And she's like, well, why do you think she called you? And he goes, uh, gee, in hindsight, I think she was setting me up. And I do love Sassy Cragen. It's really fun. And he goes on to say he doesn't remember any of the info that Carissa gave him. And Paula's like, oh yeah, you guys were drinking. We're gonna talk to the bartender. And Cragen's like, babe, I, I had a tea. And Paula goes, oh, so you do remember some stuff, huh? And then she's like, try again. And this time, Cragen gives it up and tells her about Carissa's claim that Amaro said he would give her protection if they went to a hotel room together. But he says he did not believe a word she said. And now we got Munch and Amaro in the bathroom. And is that anybody's fanfic? <laughs> is that anybody's hot thing? Amaro and Munch hooking up? We can call it Muncharo. Anyway, Amaro wants the scoop on Cassidy. Like, what's the story with this kid? Like, what we don't even know what he's up to. Like, what's the deal? Because he's like, I've been called in to talk to Paula and he's spiraling about it. Like, he's like, 
who did someone put me on a list? Like who said I'd have anything to do with anything? And Munch is like, take it easy. And it's like the way you're acting, you're acting like someone who fucked the sex worker. Like you're acting like so suspicious, like because you're like all cagey and squirrely about everything. And Munch is like, take it easy. And Amaro thinks something is up with Cassidy and Carissa. So Munch and Liv meet Cassidy on a rooftop. And I love this. So many meetings on rooftops in this show. It's cinematic, if it if totally unrealistic. Like everyone's always just on these beautiful golden hour sunsets to have uh, meetings. So they want to know why Carissa went to Cragen. Why, what does she know about the governor's murder? Cassidy thinks Carissa killed the governor and they're all like, for who? And like, maybe for Ganzel. He says she wasn't at the loft that night and Ganzel was acting squirrely as hell. Did he kill Carissa? they're asking. And he goes, no way. He was in love with her for real. He's a total wreck about this. So who did it? Cassidy thinks it was Delia. Framing Cragen and hurting Ganzel in one is like a twofer. Is he a target in your undercover operation? Like talking about Cragen? And Cassidy goes, no, but I can't tell you who is. So now we cut to Finn chasing down Melinda and she and, and she's like, I can't talk about Cragen with you. And he goes, don't make me read this whole file. And Melinda's like, okay, off the record, his talk screen showed a high concentration of alcohol. And Finn's like, he hasn't had a drink in 20 years. Like what about scopolamine or Georgia homeboy, AKA GHB? And uh, she's like, well, that stuff all would not be in his system 10 hours later. It wouldn't leave a trace. All I can do is confirm what did leave a trace, and that's Cragen's DNA under her fingernails, his prints on the knife that killed her, and her saliva on his junk. So this is definitely looking bad. Like, I remember watching this for the first time in 2006 or whatever oh and having God. a stomach ache. Like, I had a stomach ache. I was like, they are framing Cragen so bad right now. Like, I couldn't believe it. So I, that cliffhanger from Rhodium Nights is like to have to wait the whole summer for that. It's just so shocking and good and hard to get out of. And like, obviously, we know he didn't do it, but yeah. it's. But like, they also in that episode Rhodium Nights they do show a bottle of alcohol next to the bed. So you're not like you don't think Cragen could murder, but you're also like Cragen hasn't drunk in twenty years. What if he somehow drank and like went nuts? Like I don't know. You're not really thinking that, but they're making you think anything could have happened here. Yeah. So we cut to Amaro and Zara, and she is, like I said, not the best child actor we've seen. She's like, Daddy, you're the prince. And then Maria opens the door, uh, and she goes, you have a visitor. Like, she's like, doesn't even say hello to this person at the door. She's like, you have a visitor, husband that I hate. And holy shit, it's Delia Wilson. And I got chills. Like, just her being in your house, like, she's... She's a friend of the pod, Brooke Smith. We love her. But the, her character being in your, like coming to your house with your kid right there. Her demeanor is so relaxed. Yeah. Casual. She's very relaxed. And we find out why she's the most relaxed criminal of all time. Amaro is pissed. She's in his home. Like she scoots Zara. He scoots Zara and Maria out of the room. And, uh, She's like, he's like, get out of here. What are you doing here? And she's like, listen, you're being played by Genzel and Cassidy. Your captain is in a vice and he'll throw you over if he has to. And then he tells her to like, get the fuck out of there. But I think it gets into his head, right? So now Liv is at a hotel with Cragen uh, explaining how they're all working behind the scenes on this case, even though they're not supposed to. And he's like, you guys should back off. They got me. They're after Amaro. And he blames himself. He's like, I let my guard down and they, they were looking for the weak link and they found him. And Liv is like, do I have to give you my usual victim pep talk? Like, this is, you did not do anything wrong here. And then Cragen's lawyer calls and tells him to turn on the TV. And it's my girl, Sue Simmons. 
Love her. Been watching her my whole life on television. She is a newscaster. And if you don't know who she is from living in the New York tri-state area, you might remember she had a viral video moment where she was on a hot mic going, what the fuck are you doing to a producer? And it went viral because it's so fucking crazy and funny. But she does rule. And, and guess uh, what? Well, guess what me, her and us have in common? What? We've all been bartenders on Watch What Happens Live. Oh, Sue Simmons has? Yeah. I just Googled Love her and that. it's like the first photo that comes up because I'm not familiar with her, but oh, I wasn't yeah. watching local news. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I watched it all the time, but like I can name her. Like, you know, I don't know like that many local well, news people I know, from New York I could. But I know Chicago people, you know. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah. And I guess she's retired now, but she was at WNBC and I was always watching NBC. It's like if you were watching Friends or Law & Order SVU, she came on right after and it was Sue Simmons and Chuck Scarborough. And I love those two. So she's throughout this episode reporting because this shit is all over the news, okay? She's calling it the NYPD prostitution murder scandal. And I love that that's the lax name for this. And the police commissioner has just stepped down. So the police commissioner, if you'll remember, his son was at the, was having the bachelor party where the first sex worker named Maggie was found dead. And if they're connecting those were Ganzel's girls, but they think Delia might have sent those girls in. So he just steps down, I guess, even having his son being near it. That also could be one of those political things where it's like, we need a sacrificial lamb. The NYPD looks terrible right now. Step down. So it's just added stakes. Now it's a whole political issue with the NYPD being corrupt. So then there's a knock at the door. And speaking of the NYPD, they are there to arrest Cragen for murder in the first. And they tell him they're going to go around the back to avoid the press. but. Huge shocker. The press is at the back door. He comes out. There's a million flashbulbs. And this is like a nightmare for Daddy Craig. And I feel like he like values his reputation. So at arraignment, there's still flashbulbs going off. Cragen pleads not guilty. His baby lawyer tries to fight for him to get bail because he's this respected captain. And Paula Foster thinks Cragen's too chummy with international law enforcement and could run. I'm like, it's not like this is Liv calling up Spain and being like, hola, me, me entiendes? Like, this is a totally different thing. I don't really feel like Cragen has like, Paris cops on speed dial, but maybe he I does. I think, unfortunately, Captain Cragen is a really sad, lonely man. Yeah, I do. I don't think he's like, well, yeah. my pals in the, in the Rome. I mean, it's not like when Stabler went to work with the Rome PD for 10 years. The no, weirdest storyline of all time. I mean, maybe he has a friend in like South Carolina that he yeah. knew from the academy. Like one but guy in Detroit. No. Yes. Totally, no. totally. He's got like old army buddies, I'm sure, all over the place, but they're Maybe not abroad. One friend has a wife from Winnipeg. Maybe. Yeah. But I don't, I don't, I don't see this. So sadly, the judge disagrees with us and does think he has international ties and remands Craig into solitary confinement at Rikers, which is. If you've read any articles about that, it's a full fucking nightmare and people go absolutely crazy there. Um, but Finn, he can't be in Gen Pop. He can't be in Gen he Pop, can't. but I think solitary is also like, it's just horrible all around. Like, um, So Finn and Rollins now are at Ganzel's loft and Reg E. Kathy is there. He plays uh, Ganzel's like right-hand lawyer, defense attorney, Barry Querns. Um, And a fun fact is that his character in Oz is named Martin Querns. And that is a show that both Stabler and Cassidy were on. So 
fun little facts I was getting from IMDb. He shames uh, Finn and Rollins for bothering this grieving man while he's sitting Shiva for his fiance who has been murdered. And they're like, yeah, we would assume he's so upset that he would want answers too. And then they cut to Ganzel and he's sitting on this like little like love cedar couch and there's so much food on the table in front of him and there's no one there sitting Shiva with him. It's like his lawyer and one sex worker who he employs. So like, and he just has this huge spread. The food looks good. It's like bagels. It looks really fun. They're, they lean into Ganzel's Judaism a lot which is like, he is a funny character. Like he is like an iconic side character on SVU, if you ask me. Like to me, Delia is just scary. Ganzel is like scary, but also funny. Well, because he's a fool. Yeah, yeah. He's, but what he's is also, the, he's led by his ego. Like he's like a fool. Yeah, he's just, but he's also unscrupulous, we find out. Like he doesn't really, no one is safe. But so they ask him, when did you last see Carissa? He goes, I made, we made love that afternoon, which I don't like saying, but I, I do have to quote. Um, and they're like, why do you think Carissa called Amaro and Cragen? And he goes, uh, probably because she was nervous that Delia was coming after her as a way to hurt me. She knew Carissa was my most precious like thing. And like he said, the bad bachelor party for the commissioner's son. Delia slipped that underage escort in there and killed her to set me up. And then they go, yeah, and then you killed the governor to get back at her. And then Barry, the lawyer, is like, nah, she probably did that herself to further frame Ganzel. And Ganzel goes, there's nothing more dangerous than a trapped whoremonger. What a line. He says, all of this is Delia's revenge. All of this. So now we cut to a deposition with Delia, her lawyer, Exley, and then it's Paula and Benson on the other side of the table. And he immediately, Exley goes to to Paula, how's your daughter? Feeling better? And, uh, you know, he just, they have shit on everybody. So Exley asks if Benson really needs to be there. Uh, but her gal pal Paula is like, I invited her. He just says, the only reason I mind her being here is that we have sensitive info about Cragen and lives like, oh, you haven't set him up enough. And it's like, she's perfectly demonstrating why she should not be there. <laughs> like, they cannot, <laughs> she cannot possibly give, they cannot possibly get like a clean deposition from someone while a woman with a vested interest in getting rid of the main suspect is sitting in the room. Anyway, he slides over a bunch of images of Cragen romancing a bunch of escorts. It's like photos of Cragen in restaurants and blah, blah, blah. And music plays at the same time, like the music that's playing makes you think, uh-oh, these are bad. Like these images are gonna are not anything to be trifled with. So Delia claims uh, she has no other receipts because Cragen used pay phones and paid with cash because the implication is that Cragen used Delia's girls to go on dates with and do God knows what else with. And they can provide details on his kinks. Like he likes choking, restraints, knife play. And Liv is like not here to here for this. Like she does not want to hear it. And Paula wants to know like, okay, well, what's the deal? And they're like, well, you have a charge of criminal prostitution. Drop it in exchange for Delia's testimony about how Cragen abused escorts. And they're like, what about Maggie Murphy, the escort at the bachelor party? And he goes, well, I'm sorry to hear the commissioner resigned. Obviously they're behind that. But he, you have evidence that it was Anya Solar Colombia, he calls it the enlightened nation of Colombia, which is a dig. Oh, what? what's the dig? Like, he goes, good luck getting the enlightened nation of Colombia to extradite her. Acting like Colombia will never send you back this criminal. Like, they, uh. they, they're just not going to cooperate with you. Delia says, Anya trusts me. I'll get her here. So now 
we're talking about getting Anya over to the United States again in exchange for immunity on the Maggie murder charge for Delia. And Paula says, get Miss Solar on U.S. soil and then we'll talk. And Exley's like, we have all the chips, bitch. Call me when you're ready to bid. And Paula has a face like, ugh, they're right. Like, I have nothing. So after they leave, Paula and Liv chat and Paula pretend, and Paula's like, that clown pretends to care about my daughter. And then she explains to Liv that her nine-year-old daughter has Lobstein syndrome. It's very rare and it's, I think it's the same thing as I brittle bone disease. I wish sound like lobster. You know what I, I mean? I know, it does sound like lobster. But it's it's very, very rare. Um, people that have it live full lives. I think like the life expectancy is into the 70s for women. Um, it's just uh, brittle bone disease. So like her bones are like glass. And uh, Paula says she might have to make a devil's deal on this. She also says she has confirmation about some of the allegations against Cragen. She has info on Cragen from the wiretaps. And she's like, we've been watching Ganzel for three years. You know Cassidy's Ma, you see. And uh, she thought Liv would know that, but Liv's like, oh, Cassidy never said a word. And then she goes, you know who else came up on the wiretaps? David Hayden. And we learned that you two are involved. And Liv's like, um, okay, so now what? And she's like, well, technically I should report it, but I don't really see why that needs to come out. And it's like, aren't you the integrity lady? Like, I thought everything has to come to light. But she also says, you know who else's name keeps popping up? Amaro. And Liv defends him. And Paula's like, girl, you keep defending all these guys, but Cragen was found dead in a bed with a dead girl, prints on the knife, saliva on the dick. And Liv's <laughs> like, I know it looks bad. And Paula interrupts and was like, oh, we're past that. He's the prime suspect. And Paul, which I assume because we just saw him get arrested, but this seems like it's supposed to be a big reveal. And Paula says, people lead double lives. We all have secrets. You do, I do. So then Paula goes, if he didn't invite her in, who sent her there? And Liv says, yeah, Delia did. And then she was like, well, how would Delia get to Carissa? Maybe Ganzel poached her from Delia to begin with. Let's ask Delia's booker, Iris, who we met in Rhodium Nights. And she's going to be testifying against Delia on the prostitution charge. So now Rollins and Finn go to Iris's townhouse. She sent her daughters away uh, for their protection until she testifies the next morning. Um, and they're like, we just want to know how is Carissa involved in all of this? And Iris tells them that when Carissa first got to New York City, she was Delia's girl and the governor's client every Tuesday. So that's good info. The governor would have absolutely let her into his townhouse like with a no forced entry, like if she knocked on the door. So if Ganzel sent Carissa to kill the governor, then Delia kills Carissa for payback. But Iris says, I won't testify to any of this and I want witness protection for me and my daughters after I testify in the prostitution case, which is tomorrow. And uh, I don't understand why she would testify about some stuff against Delia and not other stuff. It's like, this bitch will come after you, like, no matter what. She's not going to be like, okay, at least you didn't rat on the big stuff, you know? Like, so Iris looks nervous and she's, you know, testifying tomorrow. So now Liv is meeting Cragen in prison and she says, they've set you up. They're trying to prove that you're one of Delia's clients. And Cragen admits, like, I have some exposure here. And he, she's like, what are you talking about? And he goes, after I went undercover as a John, which if you'll remember was from season 13, the previous season in an episode called Russian Brides, where he has to go undercover with this woman named Lena and like pretend to be hiring her. He realized after that how lonely he was. And he said, it was just nice to talk to someone. And Liv's like, get on Tinder. Are you kidding me? And he's like, come on, girl. It's just easier to pay someone for companionship. And he swears that's all it was. He says a few dates just to talk. And he says, 
I, he slipped and then he says he came to his senses. And I don't know if that means he slipped just by going on the dates and now he stopped going on the dates or did he like fuck one of them and that's when he slipped and then he stopped? I don't know. Like he just says he slipped. I don't know if you have a thought on that, but I'm just kind of like, well, who knows? Maybe a hand job? Yeah. <laughs> a little making out? I don't know. So back at the worst marriage of all time, Nick and Maria are chatting about how Nick has to testify. And he's trying to be like open with her and like promise her that nothing happened with this woman. And he's trying to apologize. And she keeps going, stop, stop, stop. It's like, you've been begging him to talk to you. And now he's trying to talk to you and apologize and be open and vulnerable. And you're going, stop, stop. Like, and then she just comes out with it finally and goes, I'm moving to DC. And she says, it has nothing to do with this Carissa thing. And he's like, no, there is no thing. Nothing happened. And he's, she's like, it doesn't matter. I'm tired of waiting around for you to make time for us. So why don't we just take a little break? And he immediately, immediately gets jealous. Like immediately it can't be about him and how bad their marriage is and how he's bad at communicating. Immediately it's who's in DC? Whoa, who are you going down there for? You know, like, and she's like, no one's down there. I got a good job at the Pentagon. Me and Zara are going to stay with my family. And he's like, whoa, Zara. He puts up a fight for about two seconds that she's going to take his daughter away. And then she walks away and he's like, all right, I guess that's that. Well, Um, he's not going to take care of her. I know. He doesn't have the time or the resources probably to have her like, you know, taken care of as a single person. And having family nearby, as I can attest to, would be really nice. I don't have it, but I would love it. Uh, Now, Rollins is at, it's, okay. So now it's the next morning. Rollins is buzzing at Iris's townhouse at 10 a.m. And there's no answer. And there's uniform cops there in a squad car. And they're like, we've been here since eight. No one in or out since then. And I'm like, she didn't have 24-7 protective detail. Like, why not? Like, these are people that have murdered other people and she's the only witness they have. Like, it's kind of too dumb to even comprehend. So Rollins, like, it's one thing if it's like a food delivery person slipped her poison, but you guys just weren't watching her at all. So Rollins pushes and the door is actually open. They enter into the house, lots of drama. The music is intensifying and we find Iris in the bathtub, wrists cut, she's dead as hell. So there's not even calling a bus. She's very dead. (sighs) I'm upset. She has two daughters. I'm sad. I liked Iris. She was actually one of the only people that was going to stand up to this, like, you know, queen pin. So at the morgue, Rollins is arguing with her nemesis, Melinda Warner. (laughs) They hate each other. And I, she's like, Iris wasn't depressed. She wanted to be with her daughters. She did not do this to herself. And Melinda goes, if force was used, there would be bruising. And they said, well, and she said there was alcohol and Xanax in her system, uh, which she could have taken herself. And Rollins is like, yeah, but it also could have been at like, it could have been administered to her. Like she, there could have been a way that they made her take Xanax and alcohol. And then, then they slit her wrists and she begs Melinda not to rule it, rule it a suicide and keep it open pending investigation. And Melinda leaves, we leave Melinda on a look like, I'll think about it. You know, she's not like definitely into it, especially because it's Rollins asking. In interrogation with Paula, now it's Amaro's turn. He walks in without a lawyer. He goes, I don't need one. She asks about the Carissa calls and Amaro's pacing. And it's like, bro, she has a video camera set up. She obviously needs this on tape. Sit down. So she's like, sit your ass down. And he said, he tells her what Carissa told him on the phone call. She felt trapped. She wanted out. She wasn't making a lot of sense. And then Paula's like, yeah, but then she called back for 20 seconds. And he goes, yeah, I had to get off the call. She goes, why? And he goes, personal matter. And it's like, why don't you just say my wife needed me? Like, you're being so cagey. You look guilty. And so he called her back and she didn't pick up. So that explains the three phone calls. One, they talked for a few minutes. 
One was the Maria get off the phone shit. And then there was a callback with no pickup. He last saw her the night she died in the precinct parking lot. She said she had info on the governor. We've heard all this. We've seen all this at the beginning, yada, yada. There were other officers around, but no direct witnesses, like no one who specifically overheard them. And he says, no personal matters were discussed. And she goes, did you touch her? And now Amaro starts to freak out. Like, who said that? Who's saying that? Where'd you, where are you getting this from? And he's like, she goes, did you suggest a hotel? And your behavior never crossed the line. And he gets up. He's furious. He's like, where are you getting all this? I am married. I have never looked at another woman. And it's like, well, you literally start fucking Rollins next season. So don't act like you're a full altar boy. But Paula is like, dude, you need to chill. And Amaro starts talking into the camera like, you happy now? You got what you wanted? And like, this is why he sucks. It's like he has no ability to keep his cool. The gang is now at a super cute bar discussing, like, it looks cute. It looks like a real New York-y fun bar. And I love this. This happens, like, multiple times throughout this episode and the next one. They're having kind of, like, a Nancy Drew little club. Like, they're meeting in separate locations to chat about the case. And it's really kind of cute to me. And Melinda, they said Melinda did not rule Iris's death a murder. And Finn's like, we all have to watch our backs. And Amaro shows up like the dork at school who no one likes. And he goes, I thought we were meeting at noon. And Munch is like, we thought you should sit this one out colds, ice colds. And he's like paranoid immediately. He goes, you guys don't trust me? And they're like, no dog, you're a witness in this case that we're discussing. Like it's kind of unethical. We're, we're already like on thin ice getting together and having our little Nancy Drew club right now. We can't actually have one of the witnesses be here with us. And he's like, you guys think I hit on her? That I killed her? And it's like a spiral city population Amaro. Uh, he's also got a hard on for Cassidy. He's like, I checked. He's not with Vice and IEB doesn't work UCs for three years. We don't even know who this guy's working for. Amaro yells, you all have blinders on. He's not the same kid you worked with 13 years ago. He's been in too long. He's infatuated with Ganzel and I think he's crossed over. So then he storms off. Munch follows him and is like, hey, buddy. Like, I love how Munch has the ability to completely, like, diffuse. He goes, we're doing this for the captain and for you. Go be with your family. And he's like, Psh, my family fucking hates me and they're gone. But still, he kind of gets Nick to calm down very quickly. So Benson gets a call as Amaro storms out of the bar. And it turns out Anya Solar, the sex worker who worked for Delia and brought Maggie Murphy to the bachelor party and was about to be, you know, lured back from Columbia by Delia, the last a person alive in this sick game was just killed in a car accident in Cartagena. So that's bad news. I've been to Cartagena and I want to tell you, I absolutely loved it. It was one of the greatest trips of my life. Liv meets Paula at a sunny park in New York City. And this really reminds me of my babysitting days. How about you, Lisa? Does, did you take your kids to parks when you were a backup nanny? You know it. Yeah, like I just like, this reminded me of like such a day, at, like three o'clock, I'm with my little guy at the playground and I'm like texting my friends about where we're gonna get drunk that night. So anyway. I'm trying to think of particular park days, but like, I don't know. I like nanny culture. I like the kids playing. Yeah. Some of them liked playing, but it was mostly like a nice break. Yeah. Yes. Because the kid didn't really want me to play with him, the one I had. He wanted to play with his friends and I would, and everybody thought he was my son. And I was like, he's not. Uh, I was like, me? I'm only 30. I could not have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I was babysitting when I was like 28 and 29 though. Um, so they're at this park because Paula's daughter is getting physical therapy and she's walking with forearm crutches or I, Lisa, I forgot what you called them, like side sticks or something. You had like a funny name for what you were calling those like arm crutches. And 
they're talking about what's going on. They're like, Iris and Anya dead in one day. Paula's like, she's cleaning house. So they start talking out the theory. They're like, okay, so Ganzel sent Carissa to kill the governor and out Delia as a madam. Delia finds out, blackmails Carissa to drug Cragen, then double crosses her and sends someone in to kill her. Cassidy said that Delia sent goons after Ganzel a couple months ago. Let's see if Ganzel can identify any of her like henchmen. So Genzel trusts Cassidy. Maybe he can, we can work him. And Paula says, uh, Cassidy's in a three-year op and he's vulnerable. I don't want to put him in jeopardy. So now the next shot is another great shot. Like I liked that rooftop one. This is a really great. It's like they're at an underpass. There's two bridges. I think it's Brooklyn and Manhattan because they're really close to each other. And you just see the two bridges going like off towards Brooklyn in the background. And uh, it's a secret meeting with Cassidy. And he's like, yeah, there was physical evidence that could ID these goons, but I can't get it without Ganzel finding out. And I'm on thin ice as it is. I can't keep telling this guy to cooperate with the NYPD. Like he's a known criminal. And he's like, even if we ID Delia's guys, they won't flip. And Munch is like, one step at a time. So then Liv says to Cassidy, tell Genzel it's too hot for him to go after Delia himself. And Cassidy's like, I'll try. But Liv, keep your boy Amaro out of it. He's wound way too tight. And he goes, I got to bounce. Hot date, which he kind of says to Liv. And it's like, dude, she's fucking Harry Connick Jr. I think she's fine. But um, at the precinct, the temp daddy is finishing up a meeting with some 1PP white shirts. And he's like you know, these guys are under the impression that you guys are investigating Iris's death. And Rollins is like, well, she was a witness in the Delia case. That's a special victim if I've ever heard of one. And he's like, I admire your loyalty, but get back to finding out which celebrity keeps grabbing massage therapist's dicks. Like, I guess there's been a bunch more incidences of that happening. And that's definitely, by the way, a John Travolta reference. We won't be covering that as the true crime in the case, but John Travolta had many allegations over years that he was like a propositioning male masseuses, masseurs. So, or it might be both. Uh, anyway, then the guy goes, where the hell is Amaro? Cut to a Chinese restaurant where Cassidy's on a hot date with his mom. Cute. I sound like Brent Sullivan. With his mommy. Uh, Amaro <laughs> walks in like a hot-headed psychopath, interrupts their meal, and is like, I need to borrow your son. They go into the bathroom and start fighting. Cassidy calls him Ricky Ricardo, <laughs> which is a wild, like, it's an I Love Lucy reference, obviously referring to the fact that Amaro is Cuban. But I also read on the IMDb fun facts, Amaro... I mean, Pino, Danny Pino played Ricky Ricardo, played Desi Arnaz in a TV movie about Lucille Ball. So, whoa. Yeah, kind of a connect. I've performed um, at the Cabana Club. Yeah. In Jamestown, New so, York. Oh, yes. That's where that horrible statue of her is. But I think they took that down, right? No, no, no. They have the horrible one and then they built an, a newer one that's nice. So the both oh, are good. still there. Oh, good. I was in Palm Springs last weekend and there was a beautiful one of Lucy in Palm Springs. There's a beautiful, she's sitting on a bench. You just want to sit with her. But they have everything. They really, they dug up her body, brought her back to Jamestown. The whole museum's there. The, you oh know, everything's God. there. She's, yeah. But the- They really do love Lucy in Jamestown. Well, she's from there. Yeah. But the um, the club, it's, you know, it's like you're, it's like you're him on stage. Yeah. Um, so Amaro ups the ante in this little fight after he calls him Ricky Ricardo and pulls out a fucking gun and goes, tell me who you're working for or I'll shoot you. I don't know why it's so a big deal to not know that he's working for Paula Foster. 
Like, I don't, I don't really get that. So anyway, that's the end of that first episode. Now we're going right into Above Suspicion. There's really no, there's no credits. There's like no, it just rolls right into the next bathroom. We're still with Cassidy tomorrow in the bathroom. Um, Cassidy is like, put it down. The whole restaurant can ID you, you idiot. And he demands to know who he's working for. He's like, you know, I can't tell you who I report to. I'm investigating Ganzel. All of his connections, that's Vice, DAs, NYPD white shirts. Like this goes up to, to the top. So switching um, now to Ganzel's loft, there's a sex worker trying to hang a black sheet on a wall or something and it's stuck on something. And uh, Ganzel's trying to help her figure it out. And Barry goes, look, I loved Carissa too, but I think maybe it's time to get back to work. And he's like, it's been four days. Shiva is seven days. And then he finds the thing that was obstructing the little black sheet and it's a bug, a listening device bug, not like a cockroach. So... Now we're back in the bathroom where Amaro still has the gun on Cassidy. And he goes, Carissa called him that night and said Amaro was inappropriate with her. And Amaro's like, she lied. And Cassidy goes, you missed out, mijo. She had a real thing for cops. And it's like, why are you making weird jokes and using Spanish right now? But later, Carissa calls- He's very stabler in this way. Everyone's really um, bringing out their own stabler in this season. So- no I guess, big thing. Uh, I heard your wang ain't no big thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's from the episode Beef, if anyone wants to go take a look. Um, so Amaro, uh, apparently after she called Cassidy to report the Amaro interaction, she called Ganzel on his personal cell. And Cassidy's like, even I don't have that number. Amaro thinks that Ganzel sent Carissa and Cassidy is arguing, I think it was Delia. And Amaro goes, Carissa was Ganzel's girl. And Cassidy goes, Carissa was everybody's girl. Grow up. And I love this because Amaro is a dumbass and does need to grow up. Um, and Amaro, like he's, I think he's some, too black and white sometimes. But Amaro was a cover story for Carissa to work Cragen. And now Amaro is finally getting it. Like you were just a casualty in this. Like no one, like we're, we're all going to find out you didn't do anything. Calm down. So at the prison yard now, Rollins and Munch are in the yard with Cragen, which seems like special treatment. Like he just gets to talk to people like outside, beautiful view of the city. So Cragen is like, okay, guys, I mean, thanks for trying, but Genzel's not going to ID these thugs and Delia is not going to hire guys who would ever roll over on her. So then Cragen goes, there's got to be someone we can get leverage on. And Rollins goes, we're working on it, Captain. She goes, stay positive, Captain. And he goes, I don't need slogans, Rollins. Just get me out of here. And it was very, very much, you got to watch Paw Patrol. No, I don't. Like, it was that the same vibe. <laughs> so you, you can't blame him. The guy's in fucking solitary at Rikers. So he's not in the mood for, you know, hang in there, poster of a kitten. So on the street, Liv is talking to Paula and uh, Paula's like, have you heard from Cassidy? One of the bugs at the loft went dead. I left word for him. I haven't heard back. And she asks Liv to go find him. So now we're at Amaro's house. He's in a Hanes tank now too. We're calling back to Daddy Cragen's outfit from earlier in the episode. Knock at the door. Liv's there. There's beer bottles all around. So we have the idea that Amaro is buzzed at the very least, if not like wasted. And she's like, we lost co uh, contact with Cassidy and we talked to his mom and she said you were the last person he was seen with and you locked him in a bathroom. And Amaro's like, yeah, but he was holding back the private cell between Ganzel and Carissa. He was the last one who talked to her. Ganzel was. He also ad um, admits to pulling a gun on Cassidy and Liv is not pleased. And then he reveals that his family is gone. So I guess they moved to DC in like one afternoon. And uh, Liv is like, I'm sorry, Amaro, but like, 
you know, she's really trying to like reach out to him. And he's like, well, I don't accept emotional help. So goodbye. And uh, she leaves and tells him you show up tomorrow. So Cassidy uh, is walking into Ganzel's loft and suddenly there's a gun at his head and he hears freeze and it's Ganzel with a gun to his head and forces him to the ground. And then he, like, it takes a long time, but he's like, oh, Cassidy, it's you. And he's like, you didn't, you couldn't tell that from when like all the time it was forcing him on the ground. And uh, he goes, you scared me. But Cassidy goes, you called me and like told me to come over here. So how did I scare you? And he's like paranoid because he didn't know where Cassidy was and he was freaky. So I guess he's trying to reach Cassidy the whole time that Cassidy was locked in the bathroom with Amaro and he didn't know where he was. And he was freaking out about Delia coming to like retaliate or whatever. And he's like, she got to Iris. She got to Carissa. She's a step ahead. She's got spies. She's got bugs the loft. You got to sweep the whole loft. So now it's later and they've swept the loft and they've found the bugs, but they can't trace them. Cassidy's like, I can't tell where these go to. Like, that's not really how bugs work. And he's like, you actually should have left them on because now whoever's listening to you knows that you're onto them. But Genzel's like, no, I need privacy in my own home. And he's pissed at Cassidy. He's like, you're supposed to be my head of security. You don't know anything. You don't know the where, the why, the who, the what. He goes, a lot of people are in and out of your loft all the time. Like in Rhodium Nights, we saw you having like a full sex party at your loft. Anyone could have planted these bugs. And Genzel's lashing out at Cassidy, but Cassidy calls his bluff and is like, you know, and then he goes, I'm sorry, I just miss Carissa, my rock. She was my rock, you know? And Cassidy's like, well, if it was the NYPD who planted them, we got to get ahead of it. I'll call them. So in court, Delia is there without Exley, her lawyer, who, if you will recall, in Rhodium Nights, put his house up as collateral for her bond. And she says, after he did that, he misunderstood the nature of their relationship. So, was Delia like fucking Exley or was he in love with her? And I wonder if it was just that Ron Rifkin couldn't film that day. Like he had a conflict because suddenly her high-powered lawyer is just not there with her anymore. But did he lose his house? He doesn't lose his house, I don't think, because he put it up as like collateral just for her bond. Like you put up 10% for bond. I don't know. I really don't know the answer to all this, but to misunderstand the nature of their relationship implies there was like, he tried to fuck and I didn't want to, right? Kind of? Oh, or maybe that they were friends. Like, he did a favor. I don't know. I have no idea. I actually missed that. I don't think I ever really paid attention to that. Well, yeah, because now she's there without a lawyer. It's also a strategy, you can tell, because she's like, as I cannot afford another lawyer, I'll be representing myself. And then... uh Paula's like, this is a tactic. And then she's like, actually, no, I moved to dismiss the case because in the wake of Iris's tragic death, the state has no evidence against me. And Paula argues that they have a strong case against Delia, including the murder of Iris. But Delia is like, I run a matchmaking business. These are strong arm tactics by the DA to blackmail me into divulging my clients' names. And the Emmy's report says that Iris Peterson's death is under investigation. So... Melinda went for it. She didn't market a murder, but she didn't market a suicide. She made, she said under investigation. And Delia says, I'll have my, I'll have be hiring my own experts to refute that. And uh, the medical examiner Warner has a personal relationship with Captain Cragen because she goes, I'll be retaining my own experts. And the judge goes, retain away, but I am not dismissing these charges. And it's also like, how do you have money for experts? That's the thing most people can't afford at trial is experts. Like, if you can't afford a lawyer, you can't afford experts. So Ganzel is now with Cassidy and his lawyer, 
meeting with Finn and Rollins. And Ganzel's like, if you could nail me too, you would, sweetie, or something like that. And then Finn goes, watch yourself. Like, he always has Rollins back. They're really establishing their partnership a lot in this episode. Um, a couple months ago, Delia sent three goons. They took baseball bats to my TVs, my artwork. They called them PBS sticks, Pimp Be Smart which is not real. I Googled it and I got a lot of results about like markers from PBS. And I guess when they did that, they forgot one of the bats. So he bag- uh, Cassidy bagged it and said, you might get prints off of this. They're going to need him to testify. And Barry is like, the bigger the risk, the bigger the reward. And Reggie Cathy, by the way, is a legend. He has passed on, but he was a amazing actor. And he's really, really good in this episode. Cut to another park rendezvous with gal pals, Paula and Liv. And this time, Rollins got invited to the gab sesh. And Paula is like, Ganzel thinks he's getting full immunity after three years of wiretaps. And they're like, why don't you give him a pass on the bachelor party before Delia finds out he's cooperating? And she's like, okay, but Genzel better have some good intel. So at the precinct, they match the prince on the bat to three of Delia's dudes. Two of them have already fled, but one of them had his bags packed and went to go see his side piece at a sleazy motel. And that's where they arrested him. So Cassidy and Liv are talking and she's like, dude, he found the bugs. You got to get out of there. Like, and he says, I put three years in. I'm not pulling out now. And he's like, if you want to help me handle your fuck face Amaro over there who keeps like trying to pull a gun on me. He's like, you think I'm not under pressure? I got Genzel on a Coke binge, all paranoid. I don't need your guy putting a gun on me. And then he asks, is something up with you two? Which um, I was going to say, I did feel at the time that there was, um, possibly. And then Genzel walks by uh, Liv and Cassidy and goes, you two need a room? There's like so much... Uh, love connection, love triangles going on everywhere. So they go outside and there's a situation. Two guys are trying to break into Genzel's SUV outside of a police precinct. One guy runs. The other guy keeps keeps trying to jack open the car even after Olivia says police like twice. Liv chases after the running kid. The guy that's still at the car pulls a gun on Cassidy, then points it at Genzel. Cassidy keeps going, drop the gun, and this guy will not do it. Then a female uniformed officer shows up and she's like, everyone, drop it. And Cassidy's like, I'm on the job. I'm on the job. And the car, the car thief goes, me too. I'm on the job. I'm on the job. He's just like repeating the same language. And I think that's why they have that color of the day thing because you can't just say like, I'm on the job. If anyone's watched SVU, they can just say that. It's actually a joke how insane this entire situation is. So Liv, who has already cuffed the runner, starts coming back being like, police on the job. Do not shoot over and over and over again. And this female cop shoots Cassidy twice in the chest, like blows him away. And he, Liv immediately radios in and we get the most intense call a bus of maybe the entire series. Like uh, she screams it so intensely. So now Liv is with Cassidy in the ambulance. He starts flatlining. They're bringing him back. Now we're at the hospital. Finn and Munch and the temporary douche daddy are there and they're all like, what happened? And Liv is like, some rookie shot him. She must have gotten nervous or maybe something else went down. And the captain is like, IAB needs your statement now. And she's like, I'm kind of busy with my maybe dead ex-coworker and ex-hookup. Like, not now. In the hospital, Liv is crying. She's talking to Munch and Finn and confessing how she and Cassidy had a moment a few years back, which was season one, as we know. And she goes, I didn't handle it well. So she's like blaming herself. And Finn goes, I bet he doesn't hold that against you. And then Munch goes, no, he probably does. And it's a funny moment. And then Captain and Gamergate comes out and says, the bullet missed the artery, but it got his spleen. And Ganzel is there too. And he wants to see 
Cassidy. He wants to set up everything, pay for a private room, call in contacts that are cardiologists. He's like, only the best for my Cassidy. And then this dick captain guy goes to Benson. Okay, IIB wants to see you now. And they said, I can come. And she goes, I don't need my handheld. I'm all good. And he goes, not your call. And I'm like, I hate this man so much. I'm sure I would hate him in real life, but I really hate his character. At the questioning with IAB, they tell Liv that this girl officer is two years into the job and it's her first time ever firing her weapon. And Liv goes, and probably the last, it was a bad shooting. And the IAB guy goes, my job, not yours. She describes what happened. And this IAB guy seems to be siding with the officer and Liv is getting really worked up. She's like, have you looked into her financials? Have you checked who's paying for the lawyers for these carjackers? Like, you know, She's been working on this really like layered, in-depth, corrupt case where everybody owns everybody at the top. So she's like, look into this. Like, this is not, this did not just happen like this as a fluke. Also, someone's robbing a car outside of a police station. It's crazy. The captain asks for the room and the IAB guy leaves. And she says, I think Ganzel made Cassidy and that this was a setup. And he says, well, maybe I, IAB isn't the way to go with this. Okay, so maybe the, this asshole captain's gonna help out a little bit. So they send Finn to go see the car thief kid, the one who ran, the one who lived cuffed and arrested, to go see him at Rikers. According to my captions, this guy's name is Hasdrubal, who in ancient Carthage was Hannibal's brother-in-law, a wild name. And Finn says it a bunch of times. So Hasdrubal says he didn't know the guy was a cop. And Finn's like, dude, just tell us what you know. You know they don't like cop killers out in in jail or at the DOC, like Department of Corrections or NYPD. Like, they don't like cop killers. So do yourself a favor, help yourself out. So Finn is now at the little bar, Nancy Drew Club. Uh, and he's like, so Hasdrubal told me <laughs> that he just joined that car theft ring and that he got a tip to stand by for a Rolls Royce. Then Finn's information gets interrupted because Amaro shows up again, but this time they're like, okay, you can sit with us. Cassidy's sedated. He's out of critical condition. Rollins is like, that could have been you. So I guess she's talking to Liv. I don't know. So back to the car setup. The kid got a go call from a no-name cell two minutes before Cassidy hit the curb. Liv bets that the rookie cop probably got the same go call. Rollins remembers that there was one call on Carissa's cell that they couldn't trace. She looks it up real quick and boom, it's the same number. They think it's Genzel's private cell and that he set up his own carjacking. Amaro and Rollins go to a playground where they see Officer Gonzalez. That's the rookie cop. She's hanging out with her sister. We're at a lot of playgrounds in this episode and I'm really loving it. It's very springtime in New York here. And uh, they tell Gonzalez, uh, oh yeah, that cop you shot, Cassidy, he died. And they confront her like about, about it being a hit. And Amaro's like, you want to take all the weight on this? Like, we know it wasn't your idea. You're what, 24? Your life is going to be over. And then she won't talk. And he goes, all right, good luck in Spanish. And then they walk away. And she's like, wait. And so we get the idea that she, you know, they got to her. So now in a darkened courtroom, another fun shot. I don't know who's directing these episodes, but this is a cool shot. Like the court is like not all the way dark, just like pretty dark. And Liv and Rollins are there debriefing Paula. Turns out Gonzalez, this rookie officer, says her sergeant named Kundak pulled her aside and says, we've got a tip on a car ring, shows her Cassidy's photo, says he's armed and dangerous. If she takes him out, she'll get her shield. Oh, and they're like, why would she believe him? Two more things. Kudak, Kundak is her rabbi, which is not anything to do with Judaism. In the NYPD, your rabbi is like your mentor. It's the person higher up or connected who can help you get ahead. So not only is this guy her mentor, she's banging him. 
So there's so much corruption in just these two little apps. Like they keep spinning off into these like little baby corruptions. So is Kundak on the wiretaps? Let's go ask Cassidy. We're at the hospital and Cassidy goes, Kundak, that schmuck. He had a thing for Spanish girls. He paid that chick to put bullets in me. And so Liv tells Cassidy that Ganzel called in the hit and he can't believe it. He's like, he bought these flowers. He paid for this room. And it's like, dude, he made you. Like, And he's like, yeah, the bugs, the damn bugs. And it's like, Liv was right. Why can't you ever listen to Olivia when she's trying to help you? That's why your guys' relationship will never work out. Liv's like, why didn't you tell Paula? And he's like, I couldn't have told Paula. She would have just pulled me off the case. And then I'd go back to investigating bullshit, like dry clean robberies. He's like, I'm like you, Liv. The job is all I got. And Liv goes, I'm not who I used to be. And he goes, sure you are. And she goes, no, I'm not. And then she leans in and kisses him on the mouth, which we do not see a lot from Olivia Benson. She's got, we got a lot of forehead kisses, hand kisses. We don't do a, a lot of hugs hand-holding. We don't see a lot of mouth kisses. So she goes, something about a man in a hospital bed. And then as they're zooming out of the scene, she kisses him again. It's like, his breath probably smells terrible. He just got shot. Anyway, back to the loft where Genzel is panicking with his lawyer, Barry, who's like, you just fire Cassidy. You don't have him shot. You thought Kundak would stay loyal? And Genzel goes, yeah, freaking Armenians. Like, you get the idea that Genzel is uh, pretty racist throughout. And it's like, sir no one is loyal to you. Like you have had, uh, you have had people of all different ethnicities working for you and they, ethnicity is not the issue. No one is loyal to you. And he's like, get me to Israel. And Barry's like, you can't leave the country. And he's like, he's like, I recommend you turn yourself in quietly. And Genzel's like, bad advice. And as he's throwing all these things into a bag, boom, one of his girlies has let Finn and Rollins right into the house and to him. And he is under arrest for promoting prostitution, bribery. And then Genzel flashes a roll of cash and goes, come on, we can work this out. And Finn goes, you gotta be joking. And then Genzel just like does a Hail Mary, throws the entire bag of money in Finn's face and tries to make a run for it. And Rollin goes, hey, that's my partner and socks him in the fucking eye. Like a really good punch, a very satisfying smack sound. So now we're getting to the end, guys. Bart is in court looking sad as hell. Bart is Genzel. I've been calling him Genzel the whole time. He's got a big black eye from Rollins. He's standing there with kind of like a sad puppy dog look on his face and he's next to his lawyer, Barry. Paula is charging him with tons of stuff and he's pleading not guilty to all of it. But also there is evidence that his lawyer is involved so they'll be moving to have him removed as well. And then the judge wildly gives him $200,000 bail if he stays on house arrest, even though he was caught in the middle of trying to get to Israel. So Barry tells Paula if she's serious about having him removed as counsel, he's going to bury her in so many motions it'll make Vesuvius look like a flurry. And she goes, welcome to Pompeii. And then hands him, hands him like the, the subpoena or the, the injunction or whatever it is. So that's a fun one. At Barry's office, Finn and Amaro are there with tons of other cops executing a search warrant. He calls it an inquisition and he goes, just stop this. I'll talk to the DA. So at Barry's meeting with Paula, she's like, dude, we have you on wiretaps for three years, hiding cash, doing tons of shady shit. Liv is at this meeting too. Uh, he goes, we want info on the governor's murder. And Barry goes, I have nothing to do with that. And they're like, yeah, but Genzel knows something. They tell him he's a liability. You know, you're going to go to prison for this. And then they're like, off the record, I don't know. They're like, we don't know why you're so loyal to this guy. You should hear what he says about you. Off the record, here you go. They play him a tape of Genzel talking about him, calling him 
Uh, the German word for black, which has basically become a way that some Jews say like the N-word, calling him gay, an African queen, and calling him the H-N-I-C, which you can imagine what that stands for. And also another crazy thing, besides all of these like racial slurs and and like, you know, slurs calling him gay and stuff, he admits that everything that he has set up has been signed by Barry, his lawyer. He goes, I had another lawyer set it up. I'm off the hook. I'm blame free. And, he, and then they stop the um, tape and Reggie Kathy goes, ah, the casual racism of the sweaty underclass. And it's just a great line. And I always remember this line of him saying that. And Liv tells him, there are hours of this. Like, listen, if you rep Ganzel, we can't help each other. So now we're at the loft again. Barry walks in and tells Ganzel, I can no longer represent you. And then Ganzel's like, you're not my lawyer anymore? Okay, fine. Well, just give me one more piece of advice. What am I supposed to do? And then Barry puts his phone down on the table. So we know he's recording this shit because why would else would their camera like be focusing on him putting his phone down? So Ganzel asks Barry, is pillow talk admissible? And he drops the bomb that Cassidy and Carissa were sleeping together done, done. And she probably told him everything. He says he has to finish the job on Cassidy, like AKA kill his ass. Uh, And he admits to Barry that he sent Carissa to Cragen. Simple frame job. She drugged him. Then he came in to take photos, but he killed her. He didn't mean to. He goes, she posed for the photo. She did the whole thing great. She scratched his back, but then she starts crying about how Cassidy said if he loved her, he'd treat her with respect. And then Carissa told Ganzel that she's in love with Cassidy and she's going to leave him, leave Ganzel for Cassidy. And I'm sorry, but I just love imagining this entire like little Jewish pimp fighting with his girlfriend with a naked, unconscious Cragen like drooling on the pillow right behind them. Like, it is kind of funny. Like, well, you don't treat me with respect as she's like naked having just posed with the uh, passed out cap police captain. Anyway, Ganzel says, I went nuts. I went to the kitchen. I got a knife. And then he says, I had a, what do you call it? An OJ moment. So basically he had Cassidy shot to shut him up. Cut to live in Paula, besties for life, listening to this convo on tape because yes, Barry taped the entire thing. Liv says Cassidy confirms the whole thing and admitted he and Carissa were involved since Christmas Eve, but she never mentioned anything about the governor or Cragen's setup. Does Liv feel gross now that she kind of like kissed him when he was like having an affair with this sex worker and lying about it? Yes. She feels yeah. betrayed. I mean, yeah, she's just always being disrespected. Yeah. Cassidy's a fuck boy. Totally. Totally. Paula's like, he didn't tell me about the affair. He jeopardized a three-year investigation. And Liv goes, like you said, everybody has secrets. She asks, when do I get to tell my captain he's off the hook? And Paula gets a face like, I hate to tell you. It's not as simple as you'd think. We cut to Liv getting Cragen out of prison. And Liv goes, yeah, Delia cut a deal with the DA. She walks in exchange for her cooperation. And then he goes, oh, against Genzel? And she's like, no, against you. Three of Delia's girls testified before a grand jury. And now they're charging Cragen with solicitation assault forced sodomy and use of a deadly weapon. Like the nightmare never ends. Like he's out of jail now, but he's got like a whole new battery of like more humiliating charges like than he had before. So back to my girl, Sue Simmons on at the bar, specifically going in on Craig and hitting hard about the forced sodomy charges. And the gang turns off the TV as Liv shows up and says, Craigan's lawyer wants him to plead no contest to solicitation. He can retire and keep his pension. And they're like, he's not going to take it, is he? And, he? and she's like, he's thinking about it. They want to go after Delia, but she's Teflon. There have been three DA investigations into Delia and they all went nowhere. I guess like 
Two of them got flipped. One of them moved to Anguilla. And then the third one, there were 18 months of wiretaps and it went nowhere. So what's going on? So Liv goes to chat with Bestie Paula about it. And Paula's like, yeah, I know those investigations. In the first two, Delia flipped the UCs, which, how does she do that, Delia? She promises them like a life of like hot girls and money. And they're just like, I guess I'll leave my job at the police force and move to Anguilla. But in the third investigation, Liv's like, Yo, you had 18 months of wiretaps. You had a squeaky clean UC and the AG wouldn't prosecute. And Paula's like, yeah, the AG just thought it was a fight he couldn't win. And they're like, Liv's like, did Paul, did Delia get to the AG? Like, she's got to own someone. And Paula's like, girl, I can't go digging into this. We got Ganzel. We made sure Cragen gets no jail time and his pension. And Liv's like, yeah, and his reputation is fucked. And Paula's like, yeah, but he did hire those women. And Liv's like, but he didn't even have sex with them. And she's like, but an SVU captain cannot be hiring escorts. Like, it looks bad. They're like, she's like, what about Maggie, Anya, Iris, all these people that Delia killed? And Paula's like, we have no evidence tying Delia to any of those or that those are even crimes. Like, they could have been an overdose, a car accident, a suicide. So she's like, we can't go after Delia like we did after Ganzel. We gave Adelia immunity on the charges and she's going to be helping us out in future cases. And Liv's like, so she's turning over her client list and Liv is like very pissed and disappointed. And Paula's like, I tried. And then Paula's secretary comes in and she goes, I said no interruptions. And this robot woman goes, it's your daughter. She fell and then just walks out of the room. And it made me laugh so much because like that woman was probably so pumped to get that part, but then no emotion. Liv sees the picture of the daughter on the desk and we start to see those Benson gears start turning, okay? So now the Nancy Drew Club is meeting in the crib. They're all hanging out there. It's like very Scooby-Doo vibes. Like they don't want their captain to hear them. Everything's in secret. They're meeting at bars and in the crib. I'm loving it. Anyway, they're looking into Paula's finances and the shit with her daughter is pricey. Like physical therapy, experimental treatments, and there's a $200,000 a year gap after you factor in what Paula makes, which is probably public information since she's a public servant. The caregivers for the daughter, like the physical therapist and these people make large cash deposits every month and the kid's dad bounced when she was diagnosed. So he definitely does not pitch in. So, and it doesn't look like she has family money. She also has a trust set up for her daughter from five and five years ago, she transferred it all to an offshore account in Anguilla, which they've already mentioned is where one of Delia's UCs who flipped went to. I'm Googling Anguilla. Where's Anguilla? What's going on? In the Caribbean somewhere, I think. This is all looking really shady for Paula. And she's the head of the integrity unit, if I can remind everyone. Cut to another park rendezvous during Sarah's physical therapy. That's her daughter. Paula's like, let it go, Liv. I said I can't I can't work on this Delia shit with you. And Liv starts laying it all out. And Paula's like, wait, what? And then Liv slaps a big ass folder in her lap and Paula's like, I got God. Like she admits that this has been going on since Sarah was one year old. That was eight years ago. She goes, Sarah was one. She needed surgery. Her father bounced. Exley approached me and offered to help. He didn't tell me until later. He gave her money. He was on a charity. He didn't tell me till later that the checks could be tied to Delia. And he, and at first they didn't even ask for favors. And this is how they hook you in. It's like really like actually wild how they play like this complicated long game with people. So Delia- but why would these people be nice to her from the goodness of their heart? Like what did she think was going to happen? He's another lawyer. She doesn't know who he represents. Like, I mean, she trusts- I'm just going to help you with your sick kid. Like what the fuck did you think was going to happen? 
This matchmaker with a heart of gold? Come but on. But I don't think she knew it was Delia. She thought it was just Exley. It was right. Exley got her in at first. So I know. I mean, I don't think she would have gone to a madam. Then it's like, oh, by the way, these checks are all tied to this madam. And so now you're fucked. And she's like, eventually, they didn't even ask for favors at first. And then eventually they asked her to do a couple little things, like just keep tabs on people. And she's like, I was paying, being paid to keep an eye on stuff I wasn't even keeping an eye on. Delia eventually asked her to look into Ganzel and she didn't know what a monster Delia was. And Liv's like, you protected a murderer. You let her frame Cragen. And Paula's like, by then she owned my ass. And she's like, Liv goes, well, she paid for you. What did you expect? And she's like, you don't get what it's like to have a child completely dependent on you. You're not a mother. She literally does the, do you have children detective to Liv, but in a different way. A different way, but this is also just another time where Benson gets betrayed by a friend, someone she thought she related to, another woman working hard that cared about others. You know, this is like the yeah. more Shige Harden of it all, where it's like, yeah, come on, you know? Because I felt like she thought she made a friend. So Liv goes, I'm sorry about your daughter. And then she goes, well, if you're sorry, then why, like, if you take me down, that little girl has nobody. And Liv is like, let's go take a walk. And she's like, why? And she's like, because I have to arrest you and I don't want your daughter to see that. Also, bitch, you should have let Cragen go. How about that? You could have kept doing your crimes, you petty yeah. bitch. If you yeah. cared so much about your daughter, you could have let Cragen go. So now Sue Simmons is back wrapping all this shit up. We're getting like one of the most awesome wrap-up segments of SVU history. Delia getting arrested in Perp Walked. The AG getting arrested in Perp Walked. A bunch of DAs. Paula. Seven members of Vice. Two state senators. Two deputy mayors. I don't even know what these titles are, but everyone is getting fucking busted in this episode. And Sue Simmons is narrating the whole thing. Cragen is now walking and talking with Finn and Rollins and telling them about how Delia's girls recanted, luckily, and cleared his name. And he's like, I won't be back to work right away. I got a lot of hoops to jump through. But he also said, you know, I beat the charges, but the whispers won't stop. And Finn's like, hurry back. Um, this guy's on me about how I dress. And Cragen goes, he's right. And then we get this funny, hey, like face from Finn that I really enjoy. I would like to take a screenshot of it. At the precinct, Amaro tells Liv he heard Hayden turned in his resignation. And Liv goes, he had nothing to do with all this. But Foster reported to him, he should have known. And so, yeah, she goes, Nick, I know you're still angry. We should talk. And he goes, okay. And walks out of the room and with his back turned to her goes, we should do that. And it's like the disrespect. I, as I wrote the disrespect in my notes, I thought of the way you say it all the time, Lisa. The disrespect. Like, you're just going to walk away from your partner. She's literally just saying, hey, why don't we talk and move past this? And he's like, not now. I'm too much of a hothead. But I will say, to Amaro's credit, he was correct. Ganzel was behind it. He was behind Cragen's framing. So he, he had a hunch and he was right. Out comes temporary captain. He knows Liv is worried about Foster's daughter. And he goes, you did what you had to do. And then the final shot of the episode is lights down on Liv alone at her desk in the squad room, which to me was saying something like, maybe this job is her life. Like, you know, like she is just by herself, just at work at the very end, lights going down. And then before- She's had the a big day of betrayals. I okay? know. And also, it's like, you can't trust fucking anybody in the world. Like, even the people who run the integrity unit are on the take. 
And before Dick Wolf, baby, we get a mem- in memory of John Maresco, which according to IMDb, he was a member of the Teamsters Local 817 in New York and was a driver for the TV industry. And he died the month before this episode aired. And I only point it out because I do think it's nice that this show like pays attention to people that aren't just like on camera or directors and producers. You know, they they pay attention to like the little people. Not little, that sounds like rude, but you know what I mean? He was a driver for the show probably. And that's that. Thank you all for sitting through that marathon recap. Yeah, I can't wait to hear details, about the real story. Real winding, um, winding story and the real life is pretty fun. Yeah. Pretty fun. No, no, no dead people in beds. Stay Don't tuned. Spoil it. Okay. Uh, maybe a dead person in a bed. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. All right. So this is two separate winding New York stories. Anna Grisdina and Jason Itzler and their escort rivalry. Um, So this goes down all around like 2012 vibes. So Christina is known as the soccer mom madam by some and the hockey mom madam by others. So, you know, whatever sport you're into. Originally from Scotland. So that's exciting. We can imagine her with an accent if you'd like, if you're nasty. Um, Lives in Monroe, New York. But she basically ran like an Upper East Side call girl ring for millionaires, even though she maintains it was a Match.com style dating service. Prices on the low end for dates were about 1000 an hour for with a two-hour minimum and as high as 25000 for a weekend. And, you know, Christina would get a cut, of course. Susan Magidson um, was worked with her on her other business, which was rescuing pigs from unsuitable homes, which is... <gasps> 
close to Brooke Smith in this episode. Yes, had, with the baby goat. Yeah. So um, Susan t- called her to the New York Times, demure, plain living mother of four with a special empathy for the animals. They helped match with adoptive families. So matchmaking pigs to homes is what they did. Wow. And this woman believes when people love pigs... In my opinion, they're special and unique. And in my opinion, the chosen ones, because they're such a special animal, highly intelligent, emotional animal. So it's like working with orphans. Wow. (laughs) That's Susan's point of view. (laughs) But also, you know, if she is such a pig saver and a matchmaker, why did she need a bodyguard who was a retired NYP detective who worked for the Manhattan's DA's office? I wonder, I wonder why she needed that. If she just spent her days finding people dates and saving pigs, I wonder why she needed that. So anyways, um, Anna, according to her, for herself, quoted, I actually thought it was okay. And I thought I ran a business like Martha Stewart and there was nothing wrong with that. She said that to NBC New York 4, even though she did plead guilty to promoting prostitution. Um, She did just think she was a Martha Stewart type of gal. She also always bragged about how she had contacts in law enforcement who would tip her off if she came under any scrutiny. But as we learned from this podcast, cops lie. So, you know, she did... She did get in trouble. So they didn't tip her off enough. Uh, The Manhattan DA's office said at the time, Christina was responsible for her decisions and rented women's bodies for profit, which does make her a pimp. Um, And what we know about the Manhattan DA is that they don't fuck around. They close cases and they they go after people because they have evidence. Um, They say that they they had hundreds of hours of surveillance by the corruption unit, which uh, they said um, had multiple undercover operations and developed numerous informers. So... Prosecutors said investigators had videotaped sexual encounters and had a witness to at least one encounter involving an underage girls. This was a five-year investigation that was conducted by the official corruption unit, which tries cases against the police and other uniformed city workers, but she's neither of those things, so that's confusing to me. Yeah. So why is she getting in trouble then if it's um, corruption with... Maybe maybe some of the clients were well, uniform of workers. It, but why are they not getting in trouble? I mean, oh, the- yeah. That's what I mean. Like, and yeah. also like Spitzer and all these people, they were all like, what, you know, it is interesting to me that like the one woman gets in trouble. Yeah. Spitzer. Oh my God. She claims that the FBI abducted her off the street and they wanted her to become a confidential informant. They wanted her to set people up, tape record them. They wanted dirt on these people. They wanted leverage for political gain. She claims this is not about prostitution, but politics. She was arrested around 11 a.m. on February 22nd on uh, 2012 at 53rd Street and Madison Avenue, a block away from Morgan Stanley offices with a Morgan Stanley employee who they both claim were having a meeting to secure financing for a new dating site. He was later identified as David Spencer Walker, but he was not arrested for anything. Um, And she's a real one. I'm sorry. She refused to name anybody, which we don't promote as a podcast. This is not an endorsement, but kind of cool. But also... (laughs) But also pick me girl energy, you know, like these are bad people. If like, if you are, um, you know, if there's like human traffic vibes, underage girl vibes, bad vibes, 
who are you protecting? But I like that she didn't name any names. But again, we are not promoting that as a podcast. Prosecutors claim she made millions catering to wealthy clients. But, and also, even though it's Upper East Side, the New York Times made it clear, it's Yorkville, honey. (laughs) They're like, it's more like a Yorkville tenement than mansion. It's modest, narrow, brick walk-up just east of 2nd Avenue, which, and then I think they think low of these businesses. They're like, it's near an Indian restaurant. And it's like, I don't know, is that bad? (laughs) (laughs) So it was near an Indian restaurant, a dry cleaner, and a bakery called Ore Washers, which they said was legendary, but I've never heard of it. I never heard of it. We do not know her. So she spent four months at Rikers as a result of not helping authorities and then not being able to make the bail because the bail was set at one million cash or two million bond. She tried to get the bail lowered, but her request was denied by a judge named Charles H. Solomon. But then in June 2012, a uh, five-judge panel of appellate division of state Supreme Court found that the bail set by the justice by that justice was unreasonable and abuse of discretion since she was only facing a single nonviolent felony charge and had no criminal record. So it went down to a $250,000 bond or $125,000 cash, and she was able to do that. Um, She was looking at a possible seven-year sentence, so instead she just pled guilty. Um, to that one prostitution count, and but she was just sentenced to time served in probation. Deal. And that was that. Um, she had like five years probation and that was it. So four months in Rikers. She's, she's like Delia Light. I mean, she does yeah. not do the murders and stuff. She's no. just like, I thought I was running a business. It's like an Etsy shop. Yes, 100%. Justice Juan M. Merchant of State Supreme Court in Manhattan said he was really not pleased with her in court behavior where she fucking brought her young son to the courtroom. And when she pled guilty, her husband and three of the kids were in the courtroom. Um, She did face possible deportation, but got to stay. And we are so lucky um, because Channel 4 New York NBC had an update August 3rd, 2022. Wow. She's releasing a book called Secret Desires of the 1%. It won't have any names, but all the stories will have been real. Um, She also consulted on a Lifetime movie called Soccer Mom Madam. Um, She's published children's books under a fictitious name. um, And she's threatening her next book will name names. And she says she has no regrets. And she continues to live in upstate New York, rescuing pigs and feels like um, it's not fair. She's labeled a convict, but whatever. So. Wow. That's her. (laughs) I don't know what to feel, to be honest. I really don't know how to feel about her. (laughs) Now we're getting to our little Genzel buddy. So Jason Itzler is the self-proclaimed king of all pimps. LOL if you knew what this little Jew looked like. So (laughs) his goal in life, he told the New York Post, I always wanted to be the Steve Wynn of the escort business. So that's his dream in life. So what did he think of Anna? Like, so so she doesn't care about him, I don't think, at all. His thing with Anna, he was quoted to the Daily News, uh, reported by the Gothamist, which I don't know if that's, like, reputable or not. They were asking for donations. So, like, are are you reputable? So does Wikipedia. (laughs) But he is quoted, and he said that Anna is the most vindictive bitch ever in the escorting game. She really is connected. When you control the hottest girls in the world, people kiss your ass. So that's what he told the Daily News. (laughs) He claims that Christina used her connections in law enforcement to have his escort service shut down after he rejected her flirtatious advances. 
Oh my God. He recalled to Radar Online from Rikers. He was doing interviews from Rikers. He said that she sent muscled henchmen to threaten him following a business dispute and one of them had a gun. This woman plays hardball. Another call girl was talking to the very reputable New York Post once, um, and she had worked for Anna Christina. And she claims that she, uh, this this call girl claims that she has slept with David Beckham and Elliot Spitzer. And uh, she said that she would laugh when other escort, that Anna Christina would laugh when other escort services would get shut down. But she had law enforcement sources tipping her off about upcoming um, brothel busts. And that's how she was able to work for this long. And she was never scared. She wow. also uh, claimed that Christina hated the Russian madams and Jason Itzler because they let the girls do drugs and took massive cut of their pay and um, they weren't under the radar. I'm on her side. <laughs> She's treating her workers well. She doesn't and want not, them doing looking drugs. looking after them. And she keeps it discreet. She puts on welly, bo- welly boots, you know? She's up in the yeah. farm. So, uh, but yeah, so the, our guy, you know, no discretion at, at, at all. And he loves getting involved in high-profile sex cases. He loves attention. So, like, when the former governor, Elliot Spitzer, um, got caught with stuff, he's like, oh, well, one of the women has uh, he got caught with, he's like, oh, she worked for me. She worked for me. Um, Tiger Woods gets caught cheating with a bunch of women. Jason's there to be like, oh, one of them used to belong to my organization. Once time in court, Itzler um, said he was being set up as part of a conspiracy to protect Billy Ray Cyrus, who was best friends with Mayor Bloomberg. And um, he was alluding that Billy Ray Cyrus was using one of his gals. And in court, he was talking so fast that even the stenographer could not record everything he was saying. They had to tell him to slow down, that the professional fast typer was like, chill out, bro. Oh my God. And they had to remove his handcuffs so he can use his asthma inhaler. If I've ever heard of a Jewish pimp in my life, Uh like... So he said that he, this has nothing to do with overall, but obviously I'm going to bring up Miley Cyrus's father. So he said that um, he had sent a companion, a.k.a. a non-sexual partner, a.k.a. a babysitter to Billy Ray Cyrus and that he was not interested in sex, but I guess just a babysitter. And then out of the blue in court, Jason goes, this is Miley Cyrus's father, by the way. And he, <laughs> And he said that Mr. Cyrus one time nearly died from taking drugs, but he arranged for the authorities to be called and he saved Mr. Cyrus. And then Eugene Hurley, the assistant district attorney, said in quotes, Billy Ray Cyrus has nothing to do with this. (laughs) That's at the New York Times. And before this story really gets going in New York, um, he's been arrested many times. You know, in Miami, he was arrested, though never convicted on charges of trespassing, possessing weapons, including a stun gun. And this whole saga, the New York Times called a never-ending immorality play. (laughs) So this guy was born Jason Silk and his sperm daddy, who's not in his life, but um, this guy's name is, is Leonard Silk. Um, who's the heir of Sun Ray Drugstore and owned like part of the Eagles and stuff. So he would have been like a rich air boy, but he's not. 
His mom split with him. They moved to New York and he's obsessed with his mother. Um, In New York Magazine, there's a quote. This is how he talked about his mother. She's the hottest mom in the world. She had this mafia princess Holly go lightly thing about her. Her vanity license plate was Tiff. My mother being beautiful made me into who I am today. He also had a grandfather who's like a businessman and then the mom remarried a lawyer type. He went uh, to George Washington College. He ran a lot of wet t-shirt contests there. Then he went to a low-tier law school in Fort Lauderdale called Nova Southeastern University, LOL. And there he became the phone sex operating king. So he was making banks, spending money wildly. He lost it all. It was just always a roller coaster with him. So he was making 600 grand a month at 22 years old. What? But by 1997, he did file for bankruptcy and lost everything, including his URL, pussy.com, which (laughs) could have made him so much. In 2003, he was convicted of trying to smuggle ecstasy into Newark Liberty International Airport. 2003 was a big year. So he that's when he also launched New York Confidential in May 2003. So right out of prison. And uh, he told the New Jersey Parole Board that he was working as a paralegal. But really in prison, he cocked up this idea to, uh, you know, become an escort service. He was revealed as a pimp in a 2005 magazine article in New York Magazine when one of his employees, Natalie uh, McLennan, gave up details of his New York Confidential Escort Service based in Tribeca. She was on the cover of the magazine as New York's number one escort. And he loved her, which I don't know how much that means because he has been engaged nine times, married twice. So I don't know how much his love means, but he did buy her a ring. Wow. And her profile is really interesting. I mean, she's like, there's like, I guess, a rating for escorts and she had the like unheard of top ratings. Like everyone was obsessed with her. She truly was everyone's favorite go-to girl. But anyways, so that led um, to him being charged with promoting prostitution, drug possession, and money laundering. (laughs) I'm just obsessed with him. So he gave an interview in 2005 to the New York Post from Bellevue, uh, from the psychiatric unit. He he should be on Vanderpump Rules. Like this is <laughs> this is he's like obsessed. So he was transferred uh, to Bellevue uh, weeks after he was at the Bernard Carrick Detention Center downtown. We don't know what he did to get into the psychiatric unit, but he um, was down to have a sit down with one of America's trashiest papers. <laughs> he was he said he was just having a good time, and he didn't see any of this coming. But And then he was convicted the following year of attempting to promote prostitution. He pled guilty to charges of money laundering and attempted uh, promotion of prostitution related to an escort service, like I said, New York Confidential, in 2006. Prosecutors say he was pulling in $3.6 million a year as head of the company. Um, and that's according to the Post. Um, In 2007, he was quoted to the New York Times telling the court on January 12th, 2007, I will never run an escort agency again. (laughs) Now, wildly, his defense attorney during this time, Paul Bergen, a former New New Jersey prosecutor, actually was charged 
with promoting prostitution, money laundering, and conspiracy because the Manhattan DA's office prosecutors say Bergen assumed direct control over the escort service while Itzler was in trouble. So Bergen and the others kept the business going and laundered $800,000 through credit cards. So he was having sex with the escorts and then paying them with proceeds from the company. And connecting to a former crime we covered, this guy was a former army ranger and he had military clients. And he defended one of the sergeants convicted of abusing prisoners in Abu Ghraib. Oh my gosh. And one of the American soldiers accused in the murders of three Iraqi men. And they were coming through the escort service. The prosecutors found that he was laundering prostitution receipts through two shell companies, Gotham Steak and Tribeca Models. But also, he falsely claimed that Mr. Itzler was a paralegal on the Abu Ghraib case. Oh my God, this is wild. It's wild. It gets wilder. So Bergen and Itzler went to the same law school, you get, you know, in Florida. And I know this isn't about Bergen, Maybe there's an SVU about it and we can, you know, cover this. But he eventually started killing witnesses and drug oh running. God. And in March of 2013 was convicted on 20, all 23 counts against him, including murder. This would be like if Barry Quarns was responsible for most of the crime. Like, and, and like they found him at that. But he was a good, like, he was like, not a great guy, but like not a killer. Yeah. His friends said that, like, the prosecution was really happy to get his ass because he was such a good defense attorney. So he was always really annoying. And so they were, like, happy to get his ass. But also he is um, a murderer. So anyways, so back... To, so now Itzler's back and he's back to being indicted. <laughs> so he's indicted summer 2011 on charges that he provided a sex worker to a customer for three days at the Trump International Hotel at Columbus Circle. He visited the room twice and sold $4,700 worth of cocaine to the customer. He hired a sexy lawyer, Mark J. Heller, after firing his court-appointed lawyer. Of course, obviously, he's going to stick with his court-appointed attorney. So Mr. Heller um, defended the son of Sam Killer, David Berkowitz. So, oh, like, my God. Yeah. So April 3rd, 2012, prosecutors filed a letter with the court saying Mr. Itzler had been they recorded telephone conversations at Rikers saying that he and Mr. Heller have been planning to stage manage the trial to increase the box office potential of a film in the works about his life. Oh my God. So the stage managing was going to be like they were going to have hot chicks shaking in the crowd outside the courtroom cheering free the pimp. And he was going to be wearing like a hot pink tuxedo and stuff. And they were just like really annoyed that they were using every visit down to 100 Center Street as like a red carpet moment to make money in potential future movie and book projects. The Manhattan DA's office suggested they were dragging this case out on purpose and refusing a plea deal because that would fuck with their publicity. And it's just embarrassing because this like chill mom got all the stuff he's ever wanted and all she did was like save pigs. Um, but like he got nothing. Um, one time the lawyer proudly rejected a plea offer in court by stating, in quotes, the king of all pimps does not plan to abdicate his throne by taking a five to 10 year timeout in jail. Hundreds of fun-seeking male clients are anxious to resume enjoying the girlfriend experience that Jason has famously provided in a law-abiding manner, end quote. Psycho stuff, but his spin is that he maintained his client was offering a legal girlfriend experience or an escort arrangement, not, you know, whatever. 
But they're like, we don't trust you and you're stretching this for attention. So May 2012, he showed up to court to be formally sentenced to prison. After already pleading guilty during a six-hour session three weeks prior, that Justice Farber said was the longest plea session he had ever presided over. Itzler pleaded guilty to promoting prostitution, criminal sale of a controlled substance, and money laundering, and agreed to a minimum prison sentence of four years. During the transcript of the plea deal, Jason is heard saying, according to the New York Times, as far as I can tell, I'm being represented unbelievably well. But things went wild at the live event. He did not behave in court. He was wearing a black velvet blazer, torn blue jeans, and handcuffs. He was yelling over the judge and his own lawyer, Mark J. Heller, saying that since he signed the plea deal three weeks prior, he has since read a 2010 profile on Heller and now realizes he's been wrongly treated by his lawyer. According to the Times, he shouted, Heller to me is the devil. He didn't want to pay the 420000 he owed to Heller. And the judge really calmly was like, um, you don't have a penny to your name at this point. Basically, this profile noted that some of Mr. Heller's engagements had ended badly and that he had been suspended from practicing law after being charged in 1993 with deceit, puffery, which is a, a charge I've never heard of, abusive treatment of clients and fee gouging by the Departmental Disciplinary Committee for the Appellate Division's First Judicial Department. If you, you know, it's in our show notes. If you want to read the, like, the profile on this Heller judge and from 2010, it's like all of the stuff that he's done, but obviously like shady people flock to each other. So, you know, Heller got him this deal then live at court, he's flipping out, being like, I don't trust him. He's treating me wrong. I don't want to pay him. This is bullshit. And then the judge is like, bro, you got a really good deal. In quotes, the judge goes, the deal was extraordinarily generous. But he allowed Itzler to fire Heller and hire a new lawyer named Michael Marley, who was a former sports columnist for the New York Post and a publicist for the boxing promoter Don King. This is a circus. Like, this is truly, like, it feels like you're making this up. I know. I know. But as far as, like, all the crimes we do, like, this is so nice. This was kind of fun, you know? Um, I wasn't in a terrible mood. Marley arrived to court wearing a fuchsia pork pie hat. And basically, the judge said, you will never be released from this case. Like, the, you are now, you will die with this case. Uh-huh. And Marley agreed. Um, and the judge said, you have this weekend. You keep the deal or you go to trial and you will risk a longer sentence. You have the weekend. So he came back on Monday. He agreed to the four years in prison for promoting prostitution, money laundering, and drug charges. But before he did that, he bravely called for the legalization of prostitution. He said, if it doesn't scare the horses, who cares? I can't find anything about him anywhere. Oh, like what he's been doing lately when he got out? I can't find anything <sighs> at oh, all. I bet he's got a new name. Yeah, I he's can't find- He's got a new name. I can't find anything. If any of you can find anything anywhere, I, um, uh, you this know. This guy's a scammer now. He's scamming somewhere. Yeah, I can't find anything anywhere. But he's a fame whore, so maybe he'll find his way to this podcast. But um, Yeah, I mean, this seems like it would be kind of a fun two, one, two, three part episode Netflix type of thing, you know? 
I wow. want to. I want to write the movie. Let's. I. It's. Um. I'm obsessed. This is wild. Thank you so much. I knew none of that. And you know, this seems like the kind of case if it was happening in 2012, I was living in New York. This seems like I'd be following it, but maybe the free paper wasn't covering well, it. Well, I was about to say, this is also like, you know, you seem to know the most horrific ones that really <laughs> gripped the city in pain and suffering. Yeah. And this is like a little... I mean, obviously, it's if they're a little are, sillier, um, it's kind of victimless. I mean, like, no one got murdered and sex work is work, so... Yeah, the only thing is, if there are people that were n- working against their will, that is a problem. But right. if not, right? And I guess if this other lawyer is killing a witness, but in terms of this character, oh. he truly is so silly. Uh, go Google a photo of him, um, and have a good a good laugh and a good time. <laughs> yeah, and, and we have we yeah. have the most amazing guest for you guys. Oh, so yeah. Oh, yeah. here you go. Guys, our guest today, what a treat. What an absolute treat. You may know her from another beloved police procedural, which I know a lot of you are crossover SVU Criminal Minds fans. This woman has portrayed FBI Supervisory Special Agent Emily Prentice for over 200 episodes of that program. And you may also know her from her recurring role on a little show called Friends, a tiny little, you know, like a, a small show named Kathy was her character. She's also a prolific voice artist, having voice characters on Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law, Bojack Horseman, and DuckTales. Woo! But you know her today as the duplicitous bureau chief, Paula Foster. Guys, please enjoy what I enjoyed so much, which was talking to Paget Brewster. Oh my gosh. So How excited. Are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to be doing this, you guys. <laughs> Because you're a double SVU part. You've had two pretty big episodes of SVU. Well, I mean, this character, I think, is in two episodes. But then originally, you were in a season eight episode where you play Brian Dennehy's I don't really care about you kind of daughter. Yes, angry daughter. Yes. With a lot of Chris Maloney, a lot of Chris Maloney in a fifth floor walk-up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He he requests the fifth floor walk-up so he can work on his butt. You know, that's <laughs> oh, that's how he did yeah, it. He wants that. He's like, got to every location's nose. They got to have it up. It top. has to be the fifth floor for that <laughs> cake. <laughs> well, and then when you came back, you had Nick Amaro, um, Danny Pino. So yes. I guess, is there a hotness you prefer, Pino <laughs> or Maloney? Oh, you know, I think Maloney is more age appropriate. And I've done other (laughs) things with him. I play his wife on an animated series that hasn't come out yet. Oh, really? And I just, I just love him. I love a crime veteran. I love it. And I love that he left and went and did comedy. I think he's a really, and then came back. And I, I just think he's a really interesting, funny, cool guy. So I, I don't, know um, Danny as well as as like just even doing Zooms recording a, a cartoon with Maloney is like, oh, Maloney. Yeah. <laughs> so then they come back to you like six seasons later. They're like, listen, we have a new character for you. Yes. What? How does that all go down? Like, did, I mean, it's now we're in the post-Maloney era. You're coming back at a new time. Correct. So, so yeah, that was in... That was in 2011. 
And it was the first two episodes of that season 14, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The, mm-hmm. the first two episodes were going to be as one. Like a, like a, like a two-hour movie opening episode. Now, I had been fired from Criminal Minds and finished my contract there, as did A.J. Cook. She went, Les Moonves wanted new women. It was a ugly, disgusting, offensive situation. And Ugh. so now I'm fired. And SVU is like, oh, we're going to air up against Criminal Minds for the first episode in September. Let's get that chick who just got let go and the fans are all pissed off about it and make her Paula. And I was like, yes, please. I I was afraid I was never going to work again. I was like, I got fired like for showing up early and knowing my lines. Like we were mad. We were so mad. And so I was ecstatic to go. At that time, everybody lived in the Trump Soho. If you guest starred on, which was a beautiful hotel. No one knew what was coming, but that it was a great place (laughs) then. And so, yeah, I was there for, you know, almost a month. I think it took like three and a half weeks. To do two episodes. To shoot the yeah. two, yeah. Wow. Wait, so do you, was it a big commotion when it was like the premiere of it going head to head with Criminal Minds? Like, do you remember I don't know because vibe? I don't, I don't pay attention to it. I, I, I just, okay. because the other thing was I didn't, I didn't want the show that I was let go from. I still cared about everyone there. Obviously I returned to it. Now I'm doing it for the third time on Paramount Plus. I didn't want them to be negatively impacted because nobody at the show did, did anything wrong. Right. It was the suits at CBS and, and so but I did, of course, I was like, ooh, I hope, I hope SVU, like, really kills it. Like, maybe I can bring, maybe I can bring, like, a couple thousand people to the party and maybe it helps. I don't know. So I was, but I was just so, I really appreciate it. I didn't care if it was political. I didn't care. Like, I didn't audition for it. Right. They just offered it. And I, you know, not famous enough for that to happen, uh, you know, uh, certainly not then. So... It was, um, I, I didn't care if it was a political stunt casting. I just was ecstatic because when I, whenever I was on the road, like whenever I was shooting movies, all I watched was Law & Order and SVU. Like that was my, that was my comfy place. So to be yeah. able to be there was, uh, was great. I do love the pettiness. I, um, <laughs> I do love uh, the NBC of it all, <laughs> uh, snatching you right sure, away. Sure, I love it. Good for them. But then like I was reading about this, like the fans, the fans like revolted and then they brought you back. How long did it take for them to bring you back? Well, I was so mad I refused to come back for four years. Um, uh, AJ Cook came back the following year and they had asked me to come back. But I just was so, I couldn't get over my my rage yeah. at being fired because, it, you know, if I had done something wrong, if I had, if I wasn't memorizing my lines or giving it my all, if I was difficult or I wanted too much money, I, I get it. But it was like, you know, we didn't, we didn't do anything wrong and, and, and the right. fans were pissed off. But then four years later, after I did those SVUs, I was there guest starring and they said, because we lost a cast member at the time, they said, why don't you come back? And I was like, yeah, why don't I come back? So uh, <laughs> I, I was there going to get, I was going to guest star for a few episodes. And then Thomas Gibson parted ways with the show. And they said, if you don't come back, we don't know who they'll hire. And it could be a jerk. So why don't you agree to come back? And I was like, well, I like you guys. I like money. 
I'm pretty good at this. <laughs> so I came back. And like, I get, you know, rage sort of like dissipates over time, you know? Oh, it's like, mortifying I, so, that I was angry you know? for that long. It's really embarrassing. Oh, but then I, I did other shows. I went and did comedies and I was like, yeah. oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not in trouble. I do, I, I do have value. No one thought I was like shooting up on set or something. And that's right. why I got fired. So. You know, it all, it all well, turned out. Was that when you did another period and like yes. other stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, I did Grandfathered Amazing. Community, two seasons of another period, you know, so it was great. So by the time, you know, I went back to guest star on Criminal Minds, I was in the headspace where I was like, I care about everyone here. Why, why not come back? Right. That's kind of the best way it could have, I feel like it ended in a good way. Yes. Now, now I see. Yes. Yeah. And, and I hope I never hold on to anger that long again because it was just, it's just a shame. I, I probably should have gone to therapy about it because they kept asking me to come back and I kept saying it, it was like the principle of it. But but what principle? You know yeah. what I mean? They, they said they made a mistake. So why was I so enraged? <laughs> yeah, but you're back now. I'm back now. No, yeah. um, <laughs> um, wait, so you said you did watch SVU oh, yeah. and um, like in hotels and that's your comfort. Yeah. Do you have any favorite episodes that when it's on, you're like, oh, this, I love this one or some that stick out to you as oh my favorite? God. I can't even, I can't even answer that. You know what I have a, I have a big problem right now because I was just in San Francisco at um, the San Francisco Sketch Fest, the comedy festival, and I only got to see half of an episode. And <laughs> it's a new one, and I don't know what to do. Like, I have to, I'm going to have to watch the end of it because I'm haunted by it. It was the, have you seen the new one with the, she's an Olympic pole vaulter? Yes. And when she's running and you're like, what is she doing? She's crazy. And then you find out who she, and then right when we find out who she is and she's like, this will end my, you know, you see all of her merch and her husband is like, we got to keep, I had to leave the room and I had to go meet people <laughs> and go do a, a, a comedy show. And I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. I, they're all on Hulu. They're all on Hulu. Even the you new, okay, I, I thought, oh, oh I'm not yeah. going to be able to find the new ones. And I had to watch mine, which was eye-opening. <laughs> was it? What were your thoughts? So yes. I, I'm only going to address my, that final speech that Paula gives in the park when she's busted with yes. Benson. Because, I, first of all, I loved watching the episode. It was so great to see, you know, because I don't think I watched it at the time because I was so insecure, I think. And, I, and watching that scene, it's so hard because when we were shooting it, the director and Warren Light and Mariska were like, you need, you need to bring it up. Like, you need to bring the emotion up. And I, it, it was almost like I just didn't have the confidence to be like, fearless and go for it and commit to one direction like is she is she a rat is she angry is she insecure is she defensive is she whiny is she like I couldn't it was such a big scene but I think I had been so battered <laughs> after being let go from criminal minds like watching it I, I couldn't even talk for an hour after re-watching that episode because I was like okay I I could do that speech now I could do that scene now with Mariska and do it justice. And it is retroactively mortifying that they were trying to get it out of me. And I can now see I didn't do it. I didn't bring that, I didn't bring it home. I didn't do, I didn't do that scene justice. 
it needed more from me. And, and I, and I had to think about this for hours. Now I've been thinking about it for two days. (laughs) I watched it on Saturday morning and I can't, and it's like, I have to forgive myself for being that insecure at the time. And nothing about that cast or crew made me insecure. They were so welcoming. None of them, there was nothing about like iced tea and cocoa and their dogs and they're cool and sweet and like, hey girl, come in. You know, they're tight quarters in New York. There's no room. There's no, it's not a giant parking lot with big trailers. Like you're all together all the time. Yeah. And a, a such a successful show and such a successful cast. Sometimes they insulate themselves from guest players just to keep their life to themselves. But it couldn't have been further from the truth. Like they, they that it, it was so welcoming and, and kind and supportive. And Mariska's, you know, trying to talk to me and she's an executive producer. It's her place. It wasn't like she's an actress right. directing an actress. She was saying, I want this for you because, because this is, you know, the whole arc of your character's story. It has to be, we have to see what you've been hiding here. And and we have to see how profoundly it affected you and why and your daughter and her glass bones and the whole like you have to bring it up. And and it's hard to recognize that that I, and maybe I'm being hard on myself, but I have to forgive myself for 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 having not done it as well as I could today. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, I will say as a viewer, I just thought you're like this badass, like just like special prosecutor and like you've got a lot going on plus the girl with the glass bones and you don't really have time to like sit there and cry. Like I just kind of thought you were like, listen, this is how I got wrapped up in this. And you, you know, you don't even understand how stressful it is for me. Like, I don't know. I didn't see it as like, wow, would have loved to have seen more, um, really you know, tears and breakdown here. Oh. I do get that though. Cause that is like the formula of the show. It's, it's, it, it didn't serve the show seeing the whole show. I think I just liked your character a lot. And so I, I wasn't going to really blame you for any, like, I don't know. Well, like even at the end, I was very kind. Even at the end, I was like, did she do anything that bad? She just looked up a couple of DMV <laughs> thing. And then I was like, oh wait, she actually like as probably helped a bed in some murders. So yeah, maybe, because maybe bad. <laughs> it was written so well. It was written so well that she's saying, they were asking me to look at things I wasn't even paying attention to. Like she, now she's backpedaling. Like I didn't do anything so bad. And then it's like, yeah. you don't understand. You're not a mother. Like she's, a, she, it's, it's, it could have been more, but I appreciate you saying you didn't think, oh man, she stunk it up. I also thought she was kind of trying to like prosecute her way out of it. She was like, if you do this, my daughter's not going to have oh, it. I did. I, and like, is could. that going to work? Oh, good. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, she <laughs> like, was like, she was trying all these slippery tricks, but I, I don't yeah. know. I guess I, I guess I just. See- Lisa, I mean, did you? What did you think? Like- well, I was about to say uh, when it's your own performance and you, like, no one can actually change the way you feel about it. Like, if you know that, you know. So I don't know if it matters, but to me. That ending is like uh, the sixth sense to me. Like, I remember when that all came cumbling down, I was like, oh my God. Like, it's one of my favorite twist endings of the whole series. So I was not bogged down at all by like, I think this woman should cry more. But it's also like (laughs) the magnitude of it all and her, she does have to keep it together. And also she does always weasel her way out for everything. So like, I don't know if it, 
she was able to comprehend what was about to fully go down. Okay, I, you know? I love Because it hasn't happened in forever because at the end, you know, you see everyone getting arrested, all these high-powered yeah. people. Like, you guys have been keeping it together for a long Eight time. Eight years. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I just wanted to satisfy their show and their audience yeah. and their parameters. And so um, I... I Deeply appreciate the support because if you, I, I was aware <laughs> that you guys might go, you know, we always wondered why you just didn't really deliver and that because you're pretty good on criminal minds. You're good on crimmy. This, I don't know, on the park, you didn't, I don't know, you weren't really very good. I was ready for that. I was ready for that because you're allowed, no, as yes. fans, you're allowed to feel that way. You're allowed to be like, hmm, but I, but thank you. The sixth sense that makes me feel very good. <laughs> What are your days like? Like when you're in shooting, it's Criminal Minds time. Like if you were to make a YouTube video where it's like in the life of, like what is your day like? It's uh, it's 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 nice. I mean, you know, it's it's pretty. You're you're there a lot. The days are long. Um, it is you know, it's some running around in high heeled boots. Although we're kind of trying to get away from that a little bit. Like, hey, let's put on some low heeled boots to run in with a gun. <laughs> um. It's wonderful to be with, you know, they're my friends and we've remained friends all this time. And it's, uh, what was interesting was coming back out of the pandemic after having only done animated shows and narration, I was, I thought I'm out of practice. I need to memorize all my scenes the night before. And each day is, you know, six to 10 to 12 pages. And we all realized, oh, that's not how we do it. We study the first scene while we're in hair and makeup. We go in and block it, memorize our lines in the 15 minutes it takes to set up the lights, then come in, shoot it, and then wipe the memory clean and memorize the next scene. You, you, yeah. It has to be, it's the only way we, and we all do the same thing. It's almost like there's a part of the brain, and I'm sure it's the same with SVU. I'm sure it's the same. Any kind of, like procedural thriller, whatever, where you have to, you have lists, you have names, you have dates, you have, you, you, you can memorize it scene by scene and then you got to wipe it and memorize the next scene. And so, so that was very funny and very exciting when we all realized we were out of practice and, <laughs> and we needed to get back into it. Yeah, people always tell us Marushka Hargate is like on the sidelines, like having a convo with you and then is they're like, okay, we're going to roll. And she's like, just ju jumps right back at like, it's she incredible. just goes in and out. It's like, incredible. Nope. And she, you know, here, let me ask you this. Have you spoken to, does anybody know why she has not, just called it and gone to do comedy. I mean, have you spoken to her? She is the funniest. <laughs> she's on our list, obviously, but we're thinking she's like a year three get for the podcast. She is so <laughs> funny and dry and like she should be doing comedy. She's an, she's like this gorgeous Amazon and I can't imagine, obviously I'm happy she's doing it. I want my Olivia Benson, but I can't imagine doing the show that many seasons. Yeah. Well, Lisa uh, uh, took it up with a person that is, works at SNL to try to get her to host oh. SNL. I mean, we've been trying to Yeah, why, why hasn't that ever happened? Or like her and Maloney co-host together. Oh. Like they were just having this big moment together like a while ago. Yeah. Everybody was like obsessed and 
Yeah, no, I heard she's wanted to host. And anytime I meet someone that works there, I always, I'm like, what's going on? Like, why? It's an NBC tie-in. She's she, I don't get it. I don't get it. Because she is, she, I'm telling you, I think she could do anything. I think she could do Shakespeare. I think she could do comedy, any kind of comedy. I think she could do slapstick. I think she could do French farce. Like, there, I don't think there's anything that woman can't do. And 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 I yeah. I don't know why I'm not seeing her doing other things. And maybe she's just listen. I'm not. I am not ambitious. And I don't even have kids. I just want to do my job. <laughs> I want to cook. I want to watch Neighborhood Wars and beat Bobby Flay. I'm happy. <laughs> I want to hang out with my husband. But and she's got a, a family and kids and a whole. She's you know a producer on the show. So maybe maybe she's like okay. When I'm not doing this, I'm just I I I don't want to chase after comedy or SNL or hosting the Oscars or something, but I honestly, she could do anything. Yeah. Now, outside of, I'm going to just switch it up. Okay. Outside of Criminal Mind, you know, you've been on Friends and SVU, mm-hmm. two really intense fandoms. Um, what do you get recognized most from out, ex, like between those two? Outside of or which fandoms oh, are the most wild? I mean, it's mostly it's mostly Friends, and the just because Friends had this huge resurgence on Netflix during the pandemic yes. with a specific age group, and I think for you know really only being dotted into two, you know, basically one episode in two different seasons, I'm just not as I'm just not recognizable from from SVU. So it's no it's no it's not saying anything. Doing six of friends when they were at their like in their heyday i think that was season 4 or 5 like they were the yeah, most famous four. people in the world i get recognized but but my voice is recognized so what happens is it happens a lot in restaurants and supermarkets if i'm talking i'll see i'll see someone like this go <laughs> are you kathy like they recognize the voice and it's a very specific response. You can see it right away. It's like, oh, wow. Friends fan. That's a Friends fan. Yeah, I'm Kathy. Yeah. It's wild. Do you remember the moment booking that? Yeah, like, I was going to say that's shit, one of your first things. Oh yeah, that was, my, that was my first, that was my first job in LA. I went to the audition and there were like, actresses that you would recognize that were, you know, top of their game and pretty famous at the time and beautiful. And so I was like, oh, well, I'm not going to, I just got here two weeks ago. I'm not going to get this part. So when I went in to audition, I went into the room and it was Kevin Bright and uh, Matthew Perry. And I was so stunned, but I was like, I I can't possibly, I said, listen, I'm, I'm, you know, it's nice to meet you. Obviously, I'm your runty alternate. So let's let's just get this show on the road. <laughs> and I sat down and started reading and they were laughing. And then um, they had me come back in and read with him again. They're like, don't, don't go anywhere. And I was like, okay. I went back in and read with them again. And, you know, Kevin gave me some direction and we did it again. And then I left and I thought, well, that's cool. You know, I got to meet Matthew Perry and the, the creator of Friends. That's exciting. Um <laughs> And then I got it. And when I started, Matthew said, the moment you called yourself a runty alternate, it was over. He said, Kevin and I just looked at each other and we were like, that's it. That's that's your girl. That's the girl Chandler would date and fall in love with. So, 
And that was a great yeah, experience. Yeah, you guys had great chemistry too. I remember oh, those thanks. episodes. You and you and Matthew Perry. Have you talked to Ice T? No. Did anyone ever tell you about um <laughs> Ice T's 50 rules on professional acting? No. 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 But we know the fact. Wait, what is it? Yeah, where what is that a book? No. You got to tell us what this it's is. It's a list he typed out and put up on the makeup mirror. <laughs> and it one of the rules is I took a picture of it. One of and I can't, I'll never send it to you because some of it I, he's hilarious and he's right about almost all of it. Oh really? But like I, there's a way there there is a this world that we are in right now. I would never I yes. wouldn't release it to anybody but but he has one rule. It's like, wait a minute, it's about craft service. I thought for sure you had heard about the list. No, thank you for bringing oh this to Oh my God, oh my God so, I love okay, this. Sorry, rule number nine is beware of experimental catering food. <laughs> and he's right. He's right. All of this, all of his acting tips are, are um, stay away from scenes that involve animals that bite. <laughs> Just like, one of them is, wait, hold on. I don't know. Which he one. was in a scene with a tiger one time on SVU. So I guess I could see how oh my God. that made him uncomfortable. He, his, <laughs> his rules are all right. Wait, hold on. Let me, don't get on the bad side of special effects. <laughs> Sorry, they're just all so funny. <laughs> I don't want to get, I don't want to get anyone in trouble. Just because who knows who'd be mad. Like a publicist might be mad if he said, don't go broke. <laughs> be very cautious asking for raises. Wow. Don't ask to do your own stunts. These are all so practical. They're, all, it's, it's, they're hilarious. Stay away from scenes that involve running. I can't find the <laughs> I know one of them that I memorized that I memorized I, 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 is um, his like response to blocking in a scene is don't stand when you can sit. Don't sit when you can lie down. <laughs> like, and, he, and he, I had, I had already been like studying his rules and he said one of his rules to me in the courthouse. He's standing in the back when we're arraigning somebody. And, yeah. and the, the director was like, okay, um, I used to going to stand right there. And he was like, um, can I sit here? <laughs> and like, just, <laughs> no, this time you got to stand. And I thought it was so funny. And then he was like, don't stand when you can sit. Don't sit when you can lie down. <laughs> oh my God. He's the, it's just the greatest. He's hilarious. That's a rule for me in my house. I love lying down. Wow. <laughs> Wow, I love that. We've heard like, you know, other people like um, Diane Neal told us that he was like, always sign your own checks, like gave her all these, like all this financial advice and and shit. Like don't let money managers fuck with your money, like get your money yourself. And I, 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 rules to live by. He's, I, 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 honest to God, I wish he would put out a book. I wish he would (laughs) write a book on how to navigate. Well, he used to have a podcast. Did he? He used to have a podcast and it was amazing. But Shoot. I think it went away. I never heard it. The Final Level Podcast is what it's wow. called. And it's great. No, it's I, so I, funny. He's, I just thought he was so impressive. Thank you so Thank much for you. coming on, Paget. It was so cool to meet you. And I mean, we're both comedians. So hopefully we'll see you around the comedy scene one of these days. Yeah, I hope so. Wow, what a thrill. I'm so happy we got her. I'm so happy that she doesn't do podcasts for people that she doesn't know. And she just took a chance on us because we have a mutual friend and I feel so lucky. Also, Paget is such a unique name. Is it cult like is it a cultural thing that we don't know about? Like what is Paget? Where does it come from? Great question. 
The Uh-oh, name Padgett. Well, I just looked it Uh-oh. up and it says- I got yeah. a bone disease. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> Which is wild because her daughter in the show has brittle bones disease. Okay, Padgett name meaning. Okay, oh, the name means young servant. Oh, it's the English origin. We should have asked her. We should have asked her. Wow, real mistake. But Angle, oh. Well, I, I mean, mean, it's a lot. But also, I do need to say, I've been watching Bo... <laughs> it was so funny. I was hanging out with a bunch of people and I was talking about how I love watching BoJack Horseman. And someone was like, yeah, I mean, I like it, but it's not like I'm sad and need to be watching it all the time. And then I was like, wait, is this an issue? <laughs> Should I not be watching it? Her voice in it, like, she truly is a voice actress. Like, it is not how she sounds. It is, it is special. Like, it it truly is wild what she does on that show. I I also just love her speaking voice. I think she's got a great speaking voice. I love listening to her talk. And you know, I've been, I've been getting into criminal minds. You've been getting into crimmy. Um, and she does great. Yeah, I'm, I, she is the reason why. She is the reason why. And and I think a, of Krimi because of you and Jacqueline. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I I do enjoy it. It is, it's different, but engaging. And I like it. I don't yeah. know what to say. But I am just obsessed. I like that we got her. I liked that we got to talk about acting in a specific way. And I fucking... I love it. Duplicitous. What a great word. She was so cool. And this, I I mean, this episode, wow. I mean, I don't know if we like learned many specific lessons because this episode's really over the top about police corruption and all this stuff. But kind of we learned nobody is, nobody is without fault. Like everyone has secrets truly. And like that you can make somebody the head of your integrity bureau and they're definitely laundering money from a pimp. But I just feel like they were Women setting- Women pimps exist. I know. They were setting her up, I feel like, the whole time as like maybe a person that comes back and is friends with Olivia and like her and Olivia are both like living for their jobs kind of women. And then we just boom at the end, get this twist that she's fucking in on it. And I just- What have we really learned? Trust no bitch. Olivia can't be happy. Yes. She can't even have have friends. She can't have love. Noah needs bruises. Like, you know, she can't have love. They literally let her, they let her reconnect with her ex-boyfriend at the same breath that she finds out he's been having an affair with a sex worker while undercover. I mean, like, they don't give her even a minute to be like, wow, kind of a sexy moment in the hospital, huh? Like, (laughs) they give her no time. They're like, you dumb bitch. You kissed a guy who's been fucking around. They can't give her any fucking peace ever. No friends. Every friend, Marsha Gay Harden, killer. Um, Erica Christensen, yes. killer. Yes. <laughs> like, they're all... This Stephanie bitch. March, Stephanie March, blown up and sent to Wisconsin. I mean, like, she cannot have a friend. They will not let her have a gal pal, and it's really annoying. Yeah, if you're um, a woman with a passion and a mission, you will be lonely, sad forever, so... Give up on your hopes and dreams. Yeah, you're married to the job, baby. You're married to helping victims. But a really great twisty episode. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else I have to say about it. Should I move into what would Sister Peg do? Yes. What would Sister Peg do this week? So listen, I was really thinking about it. And this episode is about like police corruption. And I couldn't really think of a specific 
and, and a, a, it was about a war between warring pimps. I, I don't really feel like there was an, a specific organization or anything I could bring up. And as of our, the, this recording, there's just been another horrific uh, school shooting in our country where the U.S. is obsessed with fucking guns to a point that is like sickening. So I wanted to point everyone to Every Town for Gun Safety. Um, it has nothing to do with the episode, but, you know, gun violence is ever present and there we have shootings constantly here and something has to get done. Every Town is the largest gun violence prevention organization in America. They offer support to victims of gun violence. They are enacting and implementing smart gun policies and they push for the election of gun sense candidates, which is the most important thing we can do is get people into office who are not married to these fucking murder machines. So for more info, go to everytown.org and um, you can, I follow them on Instagram. They're, Everytown is very um, vocal and they're doing great work. So that will as always be posted in our stories on the day this episode is released and saved in the WWSPD highlights on our Instagram page. Thank you so much for that. Um, and next week we will be doing Branded. Season 12, episode six. So join us for that jam-packed, incredible episode. It's on the internet. It's SVU. We love all of you. Give us a little five star. Give us a little review. Follow us on Instagram. Um, and we're out there, Follow baby. Follow us on TikTok. We're on the TikTok too, babies. Yes. Bye, guys. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedupppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedupppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.